Welcome to uh, the last episode of It's Server Time. It's been a wild ride, it's been a journey, but all good things must come to an end. Yes, this is not the last of the year, this is the final episode of It's Server Time. You guys have all been a great audience, but I have to thank, as always, my co-hosts who have been with me for this entire journey. We have Mix here, we have Note, and we have Pronogo. Couldn't have done it without you guys, and I mean that. Yeah, happy to be a part of it. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's so sweet. <laughs> that was such a touching note to start on. Yeah, it was. Yeah. The crowd, the crowd goes mild. But, uh, <laughs> it goes mild. <laughs> but all right, maybe maybe we'll get into the sentimental feelings later on in the episode. We have things to talk about, as per usual, for its server time. We'll talk about why it's the last episode later too. So make sure you hear what's next for all of us. But. We obviously just watched the year conclude. Uh, the finale was the Blast World Finals in Abu Dhabi. And there's a lot to talk about, but a team that actually really was struggling for some of this year was under major scrutiny. And I do mean major scrutiny. That was G2. They were able to come out with a trophy victory, a trophy win. They added that to their cabinet first time since 2017 that G2 were actually able to secure themselves a tier one trophy. I think the last time was uh, like the last tournament I know they won was like a 2019 Champions Cup or something like that. I don't even yeah. know what the 2017 one was, if uh, I'm being completely uh, honest. Dreamhack Malmo. Okay. All right. Yeah. Dreamhack Malmo. Um, but yeah, they actually got, got things together for themselves. So what are, what are you guys' opinions on, on G2? Did this look like a performance that makes you want to believe in this G2 roster? Um, I mean, on the server, sure, but I don't know if that's going to stick going into the new year. Like, I feel like this is also the point of the year where like, all the teams are kind of just kind of closing out the year. Yes, I mean, yes, obviously titles are good, but even phase were just like, yeah, we had a good first half of the year, second year, kind of shit, whatever. Like, go next. And I feel like there's less, like, yeah, they're big titles, but there's a little less motivation almost. So I think going into the new year, it's just going to be like, there's always, like, a shift after the break as to what teams stand at the top. And I think, like, I don't necessarily see G2, like, consistently contending for these kind of big titles, even though the, their performance here was pretty decent. I just don't know if that's going to be maintained. Like, you had JKS being, like, one of their best players for some of these maps as well. So, if they've... I don't know, maybe they've worked something out that they didn't before, but I don't know if that's going to remain. For me, it just kind of... If there's one thing G2 can take away from it, right? Like, being able to win this event, is that, like, you're not cursed, you know, for not having yes. won, like, an event for five years. You just kind of sucked, and you can still win events. So... I mean, it's a good event to win, but I would just take it as like, yeah, that was nice. Like, it's nice to have something go our way, but it's not something you can be like, oh, well, obviously, like this lineup is completely figuring itself out, and like we don't have anything to really think about for like going into the next year. There's still a lot they have to think about. There's still a lot they're gonna have to work on. I still have a lot of like doubts when it comes to like this lineup and this team, but it's a very good, very feel good thing to end the year on. Um, even if, I mean, I don't think anyone would say that like this feels like one of the biggest like events or trophies to one of the year that's just kind of naturally how it is when it's mid-december and the last event of the year so uh yeah just like kind of a, a feel-good thing to take away but not something that i i think they should like kind of rest our laurels on it's 
to me, the G2 run really looks to me like it was obviously this event at the very end of the year had so many storylines with it. We had like, obviously, you know, Liquid looked pretty promising, but didn't make it in the fall finals. And now they were able to make it all the way to the end. Obviously, G2 themselves finally taking a a top tier land victory. That was huge for them, especially in the wake of what happened in Hooksy's personal life with his father passing away. And then the fact that he's able to do it and he goes and does all, all these emotional, heartfelt interviews where he says, I thought I wasn't good enough. I was doubting all this other stuff. Uh, and then now he's here. He is with the trophy. Right. And and Nico, obviously, a, a player that should have won a lot more. It feels like if you look at his career and his body of work, it's like, wow, OK, OK, he finally won something like I think he's specifically the last tournament he won was one of the events in the online era. It might have been an IEM New York or something that was online. So uh, that's the stuff that's like, okay, where is this guy's trophies? And also Monacy for the the fact that how good he is. You definitely thought this guy should have, this kid should have been more MVPs, more, you know, victories in general, right? More uh, finals. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there was a storyline that even Scrawny picked up on in the cast was like, you know, after they toppled FaZe in the, in the semifinals here, they went, they returned to where they ended the year at minimum top two finish in Katowice. And it's like, okay, that if you just looked at the beginning and end, you'd be like, oh, G2 was probably a pretty legit lineup. No, bro, there was such a radical drop off like in the middle. So that was crazy. But again, I don't know that it's consistent. We need to see way more of it. As Note said, a lot of teams maybe not doing too hot in terms of, um, you know, finishing the year strong. This is like a very heavy circuit where you have to play a lot out of the whole year. And I'm going to be honest, like this, maybe we'll get into this if we bother touching on, on the experience of watching this event, but it kind of felt like this event was a bit more of an afterthought compared to some of the other events that we saw. Crowd was obviously much more tepid. Uh, in general, it was just like a weird event to, to have a weird location to have. Um, and so th- there's a lot of things that built up to make this event feel not as epic as the previous blast event for me. Uh, and so I think maybe the players also that dubs rub on, off on them. You obviously saw the players reactions to the crowd, the Brazilian crowd in Rio. It's like, holy shit, this is a completely different experience playing in this crowd, in this environment. And then you flash forward to the world finals at the very end of the year. And it doesn't really feel like it earns the title of the tournament. So anyway, that's a lot of stuff. But I think there's a, you know, not to put too many asterisks next to this run. G2 obviously beat FaZe, who was my team to take the whole event, especially after they made the finals of the previous Blast event. I thought for sure FaZe would be able to lock this in. You obviously saw FaZe dust them off on Ancient in the previous series that they played against G2. So I thought a lot was going in the FaZe camp. G2 obviously make it in two very, very close matches. Um, so I'm I'm very pleased to see that they won it legitimately and it wasn't maybe a run that you could say is more fluky. Maybe, you know, they could have gotten a better opponent in the final or something, but that didn't end up happening. So yeah, I, I still think that G2 earned it, but I'm also not sure that they would repeat this if uh, given another chance and we'll see if they get another chance in the future. I think they'll have other chances to make some deep runs, actually. I think that they, the, the skill on this team, it was almost... I think the reason that Hooksy in particular uh, was under so much criticism is that you, when you have Nico and Monacy already, you should think that your team should be competing for a top five, top six slot. I'd say in the the current space, like you look at the teams that are sort of ranked in that that sort of that kind of area, and I think that other than maybe a couple, there are some uh, like beneath that. I mean, like it's it's hard to imagine that. Like you wouldn't occupy a top seven slot because look at who's top seven now. It's like Mouse, and then like Furia is beneath that. If you have Nico and Monacy, you definitely think you should be above those teams because you have two world class players. And but I think that what's really nice about what G two did here is that I really just loved their T side so much, and yes. it was kind of a glimpse of what we got, or it was kind of a, a hearkening back to what we saw back at ESL Pro League in the group stage when they went flawless. 
uh, didn't lose a single map there where we were able to see like the the mid rounding was very strong. They had a lot of different uh, great ideas, uh, especially for openers. Like one one thing that G two did very well here is that, in my opinion, they they had really good game plans and they kind of just forced to throw those down the throats of their opponents. Where like the one that really stuck out to me the most was when they played Vitality, where they kept going at Apex essentially. Like they kept trying to go ramp or they try, kept trying to do outside smokes to lower, so Apex would have to rotate lower and. They almost never even contested A. Like, they, the most they would do is they kind of fight door here and there, but everybody kind of does that, you know? And I think that just just understanding what your opponent's weak spots are is something that, for some reason, so many teams in the space don't do. Because I've heard in interviews, people say, say things like, oh, you know... Um, like you know, everybody's good on the other team, so we don't make game plans to target people. It's like, why not? Yeah. Why would you not do there's that? No, like, there's no way like they're not like there's no way like, they everyone on the other team is like all on the same skill level. Like there's still people exactly you can target. Oh, well, like, we know the inverse is true, right? <laughs> like they avoid simple back in the day when he was on CT everybody. side. Every time you see an AWP uh, on that side of the map or whatever, even if it's not simple behind it, people are like, "All right, that's where their guy is." Like, and now that ushered in this era of like brokey simple people, other oppers like taking a shot, falling back to the other site on CT side. You had to be mobile. You had to be unexpected. Where is he going to be? And then that was like a whole meta shift that happened recently, just in the last few year or so where you saw this mobility and this unpredictability be a huge factor in what CT sides could be successful with the ops. So I definitely think that's just one of those like, don't expose our strats, bro, or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's also, there's some other, something else going on there, but I don't know why players would well, say that when it's clearly I not just true. Say, I just think in general, this kind of applies to like, just from my experience, like to a lot of IGLs, I think a lot of people kind of hesitate. They kind of like want to break away from like, whatever it is like their game plan is or like whatever they feel like the proper way to play cs is okay and then there's other IGLs that i've really liked like say like vanity for example that i've been on a team with in the past where like he'll just be like bro we're just gonna go fucking go b because i think this guy sucks or like you know you look at the scoreboard and their a anchor is like 2 and 14 or something you're like fuck it dude like let's just do go a like what is he gonna do yeah and you obviously sometimes like it will work out, like, I think a good amount of time, and obviously sometimes, like, the guy's, like, 2 and 14, and then he just fucking pops off for, like, a 4K and just insta-headshots everyone, and that's just... And then he's got great. his confidence back, and then you yeah. don't want to go and feed the beast again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the thing about uh, focusing Apex in this example is such an obvious move for, like, even if he's a 10% better player or whatever, if I'm still, if I'm the coach or whatever, I'm still being like, yeah, that guy tilts really hard on camera every time he dies, so just keep killing yeah. him, please, and then the whole rest of the team crumbles. That would be ideal, because... You know. Yeah, it's kind of like it's also kind of like if you directly go into like where Zywu is, right, and he kills four of you, you're like, well, why the fuck did we do that? Like it's yeah. Zywu, like obviously he's gonna fucking kill four of us. Whereas right. like if you do the same thing and you target Apex and he kills four of you, you're like, well, fuck it. Like I feel like that was the right play. He just fucking owned us that time, and so yeah. you can kind of live with yourself a bit more. Right. It also it also is like very telling that going in or going into that series, Zywu was like one of the highest rated people at the blast world finals but then by the end of it he had like in that series in that bo3 he had a 1.00 rating like they just did such a good job avoiding him and on every map like zaiwu was not finding that many first kills like he was very free like i think actually in the whole series zaiwu had five first kills like over three maps for zaiwu to get five first kills shows that G2 did a great job at just negating his presence. And that's something like, I, I think this is where like, uh, uh, honestly, like why I always just take simple in the goat yeah. or like the number one it's debate. Not, because like the same thing, yeah. 
Simple will never let this happen. Like Simple just like he, he he can miss. Sometimes he can actually just play badly, but he'll always get himself involved. And I think that sometimes Zaiwu's movements at the beginning of rounds are almost too predictable. Like G2 effectively game plan against Zaiwu. You almost never hear Simple was effectively game plan against because as soon as Simple recognizes someone's doing something different to try to make his life difficult or get him less involved, he just he just goes to the action. He'll find the action and he'll make sure that he has a presence on the map. And Zaiwu sometimes he kind of just just falls by the wayside. Like he just kind of is an average opper. And and that's uh it's rare. It's rare to see it. But I mean it, it can happen. And Hooksy Hooksy was actually able to put together a plan to have a better rating than Zaiwu. Hooksy Hooksy in that series had a better rating than Zaiwu did. Like that's just He's I mean, I think the Enough game said. plan went pretty Enough effing said. well yeah. in that case. Yeah. Um, other stuff, I, I guess, like, let's talk about the grand finals. So, so liquid, we're able to make it there. We'll shift the conversation to liquid also, but like, again, I think, I mean, I think G2 just looked like a much better team. Um, T side Inferno again is like a position where I felt like they were able to just find so much mileage. Um, there, there's so many, there's so many things that G2 are able to do at the same time on the map. Like I think what Hooksy did really well with Copenhagen flames is he gave everybody like the perfect level of autonomy. And I think he's doing the same thing again now, or people are starting to find that system where like Nico knows he's going to be pressuring banana, but Hunter also, or like JKS also know they can kind of do something else on the map at the same time, as long as they're not too crazy about it. And so what's nice about, what their defaults look like and what you would hope for with this kind of star power is that it actually in a way unlocks Hooksy to make really good mid rounds. So like Hooksy's mid rounding in this tournament to me was easily the best of any IGL. Like I didn't see anybody in like four on four for five on four situations, just put the pieces together and put so much pressure on opponents. Like when I watched back the demos, like, dude, they're throwing nades at two bomb sites at the same time. Yeah. Like, like that's crazy. That's just crazy. Like, like nobody's really doing that. And it doesn't even feel like a fake either. It's like, it looks like there's two site hits happening at the same time. And it's just like, I, it's one of those things where like Navi did that in 2021, uh, VP actually sometimes would do VP slash outsiders would sometimes do that, uh, in 2021, but like a lot of teams don't really do that. They're more like a, a string, a singular, like spearheaded approach to their their T sides. And I think this is kind of the pinnacle of calling because, like, when when Navi were able to do this so well, it it was it felt unstoppable because it, it could just so many things could go right for you. Like, sure, th everything could crumble at the same time, but like if it's played to the highest level, it's it's very difficult to deal with because it's not just one smoke can stop you. It has to be like two sides of the map have to calm together and put, put a defense together. Yeah. I was actually going to mention if we're going to touch on the phase series at all, but I, oh, yeah, they did it. the same thing on Inferno. They constantly pushed and pulled phase rotations by doing that exact thing. Like they were taking banana late and then exacting with like three people, but then they'd already be running. Like the first two people would already be running back to a, and it was just like, two bombsite hits at the exact same time. And in general, like that's exactly what I saw when I was watching them as well with the, the fact that they controlled rotation so well that Hooksy just had a beat on exactly how to play his pieces in, the, in these games. And they're, I don't know, like it, it seemed like there's a lot more independence coming in from the, from the players too. In his interview after the final, he mentioned, um, he mentioned that, uh, at least on Mirage, the CT side went pretty well, but he couldn't actually like get a feel for the T side uh, in the second half. 
uh, for a little bit, and essentially, like, Nico took over calling um, for a little bit, and, like, probably like, four rounds or something, and then Hooksy got his, uh, he's like, I got my group back after Nico kind of took over and, and did all of that. So he's also, like, willing to relinquish control, which is, like, for, for that's just a general good sign, because I think, like, there's always been that battle between Nico and other IGLs on his team, so, like, having that dynamic able to actually effectively play out and, and give him a chance to kind of, like, get back into the groove is also a good sign long-term. I just don't know how... Like, is that going to be something that's sustainable if they're going to keep going like that? Like, I also I think that tends if, to happen yeah. with a lot of teams where, where you do have, like, a secondary caller take over for some rounds. It's just not something that uh, we've really seen with this G2 so far, so I'm wondering if that's going to be, like, a recurring, consistent thing that they can uh, that they can bounce off of. I don't know, man. As soon as I hear that Nico is the one taking over the secondary calling duties for those few rounds, I'm thinking like alarm bells are ringing. I'm thinking back to his, whole, you know, there was that content piece where he obviously did the the Frankenstein IGL. I don't know how many people saw that. That was a good one, though. Uh, G2 did this content piece where they had uh, Dr. Frankenstein as Nico, you know, Nico was that. And then uh, I forget the assistant, the one that's like obviously not very well and uh but that e was kenny s igor igor yeah probably igor and then so kenny s is igor and, and he's like master there's a new igl we must create or whatever and so that was great brilliant love stuff and then of course nico sits up as himself uh in in the dr frankenstein he's like oh no we must start over again because this is bad but no like seriously nico has this history of uh of doing this right and and maybe some people say now he's reformed nico he's better he's not going to do the same thing. I don't know, man. Even if I'm Nico and my IGL is somebody who already has this crisis of confidence historically and then is like, Nico, I can't call. Can you do this? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, that's already, there's uh, some warning signs there. So I actually don't know if I agree that it's a good sign long-term. It's a good sign if Nico doesn't take it as an invitation to do more or a signal that Hooksy's not capable, right? Because the one thing that I need from a guy who needs to prove himself is to think that he actually can prove himself. And up until this point, it felt like Hooksy could not do that, right? So, you know, obviously the storyline and the timing, I mean, obviously a very tragic moment in his life, but he took it and he made hay while the sun shines, so to speak. Uh, and, and, you know, was able to strike while the iron is hot. There you go. There's another adage. And, and so you get this feeling that, oh, this, this is the only way, it, like not the only way it could have happened, but if it had to happen, this is the perfect time for it. And that's what makes this, this event run from G2 feel so effervescent or whatever. It's like, okay, it was here and then it was gone. And I don't know if we're going to get it again. Uh, in the phase series specifically, one of the things I noticed a lot is that after the hooksy call would happen, obviously Kerrigan, we would say a master of mid-rounding and of adapting mid-game. And I think Kerrigan did actually find good reads to counter. It's just that when that was in, he put the G2 players in those impossible situations. We saw the JKS 1v3 on round 29. We saw all of these clutch moments on various, uh, across the, the two maps that they played in that series. It's like, yeah, okay, now it's phase on the receiving end of the treatment they were giving to everybody else, where the Kerrigan call, maybe it was the right call and the, the initial play execution was whiffed by the players, and then somebody else dug deep and, and you know, pulled them out of that uh, situation. I don't know, but, they they looked super panicked inside of those rounds, yeah. man. Like, phase looked really yeah. panicked. I wouldn't necessarily say that it was, like, sure, maybe some of the calling was fine, but, like, the players actually looked panicked in some of the executes that G2 were doing, or even just some of the map control plays they were doing. You could see it when they were like taking rap on on like art side on Inferno. There was like these weird like Brokey looked like he was literally scrambling. Twist looked like he was scrambling. It was like it, it 
You say that it looked like rotations were well controlled, but like it looked extremely. No, I, I said like, the responses to the hooksy calls later, late into the game on the CT side specifically. Uh, when I'm thinking of nuke, I'm thinking of the. I times think the responses where... looked panicked. That's that's what I mean, though. Like they they looked like they weren't like comfortable with what they were doing. I think even when even scenarios. when they are comfortable, they looked they look uncomfortable when you go back to their runs and like you think of the Antwerp major, like you think of yeah. like some of these miraculous moments or whatever and and maybe the call got them there as a as a negative thing, maybe again it was like it was the you know, I've seen this with MSL so many times where he's like he's got the right call, but it's not the right call for his players because his players can't do that or they don't do that in that time. And it's like, okay, we got to do that call again, but this time you actually got to hit the guy or something, you know. And and so sometimes it's that, sometimes it is actually the call but in in either case phase would get an advantage and then g2 would somehow carve it back in a way that they had no business like as it rounds that they had no business winning and that's normally what we attribute to phase which is another reason why this g2 run just seems like unless they're going to do that all the time which admittedly would be living up to the billing of some of these players like jks like monacy like nico like yeah these are players who should be able to win you completely insane impossible rounds but they haven't done it until this event it consistently right and they did this in this event consistently and that's what i think is like okay if we can see this all the time then this could be a great harbinger of things to come if this is a one-off then congrats on the trophy but back to the drawing board you know and we'll find that out probably soon in katavits right so i'm excited to see where that goes but it's just another point that i thought of is like you can adapt to this right once you know about it once you feel it and i think once that adaptation comes in i don't know how often you're going to be able to rely on those round 29 on nuke jks 1v3 clutches that i mean great player obviously or good player we'll say uh more recently uh obviously shot up to great in this event specifically hopefully he can hold that for g2 fans i will yeah, say when I, I said when i said it was a good sign by the way i meant specifically that like nico can take over for a couple of rounds until hooksy gets back in the into control like i don't think it's a good sign necessarily that he would take control long term but that's not what i saw in that, in sure, that yeah. uh, specific example I, I'd be, yeah, I mean, hmm. the back and forth between Hooksy and the rest of the team does seem like he has a, a pretty good level of control, actually. Yeah, like, I don't, exactly. I don't think it's, yeah, it doesn't feel like Nico's nipping at his heels or anything yep. as much uh, from at least like the cams that we're seeing and like what people are saying in interviews. Like, they're so, they, they, they praise Hooksy so much every single time they get a chance to that it also is like, I don't think that. I don't think anybody is there has any confusion about where the calls are coming from, which is which is yeah. nice. Um, I it kind of makes me curious of like, did they try this before? Did they want this? Because like I thought Alexi would have probably been pretty good at doing that, but I guess they just didn't like his calls in general. So either way, it's it's working for them. Well, but they, uh, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe it was Xtaz yeah. the whole way through, and then Xtaz left, and now we're like, wait, did we even need to go through the Hooksy saga? I don't know, but. Whatever. French. French Counter-Strike. Let, let's team. talk about let's talk about Liquid. Let's talk about Liquid. Um this is this is their second grand final of the year. Uh I'd say that their run was pretty competitive, but like it also it also like left something to be desired. Like if they were on the other side of the bracket, I think it would have been pretty difficult for Liquid to do to get a yep. grand finals run, for example. Like if they had to play Vitality, if they had to play Phase earlier, I'm not sure if they would have necessarily won those. And but do you guys think like do you guys think that this Liquid second place like where where do you think it actually like rank them at this tournament? That's how I want to put it. Like rank do you think they were the second best team or do you think another team just had a worse draw than them? 
I don't think they were the second best team. I think it would probably yeah. go G2, Phase, and then I'm really not sure who to put third, but it isn't Liquid. It. I mean, it. I think it either has, to, it has to be Vitality or Liquid, I think, right? Yeah, like, I would put them probably that. third, to be honest. I think Vitality looked pretty decent here as well. It's kind of hard. It's like quite the toss-up for three to fourth between the two. Yeah, but yeah, I'm thinking like at that point it gets to the head-to-head. Who do you take over yeah. the other team? Do you think do you take Liquid to beat Vitality? And that's the question. And I'm not sure that I do. And that's why it's a third well, or fourth, right? If Vitality hadn't lost to Oda OG, I probably would have said Vitality. But sure, yeah. I don't know because of that. Yeah. I'm still I'm still because that's they still true. made the finals. I would still put Liquid as the like the third best team here. But kind of like I think honestly what you said earlier about them, like they just leave like something to be desired. Still, that's kind of just how I feel about Liquid overall. They just kind of seem stuck at like tier 1.5 well i mean i mean they're still tier one team obviously but like they don't seem capable of like winning an event actually at the moment it seems like they're still just like missing something that's not necessarily like just like night just fragging or anything that's like honestly i feel like the biggest thing they're still missing is like big performances from oc yeah. from their opera like more consistently like having games where oc is like stepping up and being kind of like the hard carry of the team he's not like playing like terribly most of the time but I don't. I would say he's probably not having like enough impact for Liquid to be a top team yet. Didn't Nitro end as like the highest or second rate, highest rated IGL of the tournament or something too? Yeah, he had a good a, tournament. Yeah, as a player. So, yeah. Let me see. Um, well, I mean, I I think the the OC point is really something that needs to be addressed because i think yes. that all of us were fans of of oc coming into this lineup and i think that if you wanted Ameri an american opera this is your best option like there's no one else that's that's any close to being as good as oc but it's still like on the world stage i think he was pr i mean the only opera that was worse rated than him at this event was uh Kadian. and i i actually think like if you could if you could manage for oc to be like as good as Kadian was for the major or like the fall finals, then you're you're cooking if you're liquid. But like, I haven't really seen anything that leans me to believe that that's going to be coming out anytime soon from OC. Unfortunately, I, I feel like he's he's kind of like un <sighs> to me right now. OC is probably the most definitive support opera in the top scene right now like they don't really set him up a ton but when he does go for his opening picks he kind of hits them with like i'd say like medium success rate not like the monacy simple like no like i would say like the top five opera success rate at just hitting shots like i actually think like oc's biggest flaw is that he actually just doesn't always nail the shots now because i think he's like you don't want to change the system too much with Liquid. If you're making grand finals appearances a couple times this year, if you're a team that's pretty secure in their, I'd say, top five in the world spot, top six maybe, if you want to be a little harsher on them, top six in the world spot, you don't really want to change to set up OC because then you're probably taking something away from Yakindar or Alige for them to do well. And I, I like the system right now for, for Liquid. So I, it's almost just like you purely need OC to be better mechanically if you want to put it all onto one thing, which is... It's harsh, but it, it is. I, I think that's the biggest the biggest downfall right now for them. Yeah, the, yeah. the biggest so, problem again, with like trying to say, oh, we need a different opera than OC for me is that like, who would you get even if you decided to import? 
Like if you imported Dexter before he joined OG, if you imported, I don't know, like Sun Pius before he joined Ents, like these players, okay, maybe they are superior to OC in a one-to-one matchup. But the fact is that we know as NA fans, as as fans of Counter-Strike, we know that NA teams are very sp- particular about the emotional sort of surroundings and like the ambiance and the mise-en-scene of how the, the team works. And so if you were to take out OC, who's a personality that it seems like Liquid really jive with, and you were to replace him with Dexter, knowing what we know about him from both what's behind the scenes and what's come out. Uh, also, if you replaced him with Sun Pias, who I don't know much about in terms of his personality, but he seemed, according to Snappy, you know, he said that before this guy wants to talk all the time or he wants to like, you know, bring stuff to the table all the time. I don't know how well that would be received, right? I don't know how, I mean, obviously Yakinder seems to be providing a lot of input and that's received well, but we don't, we can't know that it would just be a one for one slot in. And so if you are just going to say, okay, let's keep this ro- roster, as my snake said, they're making, to- you know, they're in the top six at least they're making these grand final appearances what needs to change without changing players yeah i actually don't know what you can do other than tell oc to hit aim lab more or whatever which isn't really that useful advice because these players are i think crazy. i think in general the the first thing out uh that now snake said is actually exactly what they need which is that oc just can't be missing some of these pivotal shots like there's a lot of times where like, he does lock down areas sometimes, but there is a lot of whiffs where, like, even one kill would have made a massive difference in changing the, ti- yeah, changing the yeah, timing of, of, like, a bomb. Even if he dies, like, if he gets one there, it changes the entire, like, outcome of how much control the other team has. It's just, like, there's some really, really pivotal shots that he missed when I was watching some of these games that it's just, if they want to have a top, like, if they want to be a, ter- a title contender, that just can't happen it's, it's it sounds like really easy to be like just don't hit sh- just hit your shots but it's like for once that is actually a valid na excuse to losing the match <laughs> like, yeah. the thing is, is that like if you want to find like just finding an upper that's gonna like hit like all their fucking shots just doing whatever like you know being able to play like that passive style all the time is a like fucking difficult to do just because it's just hard to find uppers like that that are just that consistent so with liquid it's like to me it's kind of like a case of like is it a OC not doing enough to make himself comfortable? Is Liquid like the system itself not doing enough to kind of give OC a bit more room to work with? Um, because he definitely can like kind of fall back into this like kind of like support opping, kind of like how he was when I initially like joined like ATK and like that when he first like joined like JT and them, where he had like an eight percent like opening kills rate. He was literally like solely a support opper, didn't really do much, and then he kind of had to like grow himself into that role in the team of going for like a ton of opening picks, making like a ton of space for himself. So I don't even know if it's like all just like the system, like liquid system, just like doesn't have enough room. And like, obviously, yeah, you could say, well, if they give OC more room, they're taking away more room. But I almost wonder if that might even just be better at this point, because I don't know. I feel like having your opera, like having room to work with is really important in a team yes. for like consistently having space across the map and just having like presence on the map compared to you know, however much space you want to have for your three star riflers, which you do have like three insane riflers and Elysianath and Yekandar, and you obviously want them to have space to work, but obviously you still need the opera to have more impact. So you need to figure out like how to do that, if OC can do that, if you can make that work, or like is OC just not going to be like a good long-term fit for the team? Mm. I don't know, man. I do have one thing yeah. to say. I do have one thing to say, which is FaZe Clan were the best team of the whole year with a very unconventional op style. Liquid... 
obviously like that's completely different play styles between Brokey and OC. I'm not saying that they're comparable in that sense, but it's like you can innovate or do something specific to your style and your team composition that will allow you to succeed and get to the heights of the game. If you decide that you don't want to do it the conventional route and maybe OC skill set isn't suited to that conventional route or whatever. So but but that requires this sort of like okay for one you have to be like okay I'm not not as good as the I'm not the device style opera or whatever but I can be a different style of opera I can make my own style or something you have to have that within you which is what Brokey seems to have and then you also have to have buy in with the team to to sort of build a, a setup around that and it feels like Liquid haven't really. I don't know if they've observed what, whether or not that's actually true about OC, that he needs to have his own sort of style and he needs to have his own space or whatever. But it doesn't seem like they've carved out a space for him to succeed, but they also don't necessarily want to go anywhere. I'm not even sure if they can set up like oppers in the same way. I mean, this is a team where many of the members of the team have had no opper for a long time, no defi- definitive like, you know, opera. It was Nitro for a while on, on the Grand Slam Liquid, but even then it was like, I mean, that's not his main role, right? And he's also the IGL. So it's like, I'm sure there's all sorts of permutations that were very different if you're trying to contrast that with the more standard opera. I don't know. This team just feels like, like even Yakinder had Jame as his opera. And okay, Jame is a good opera, but it's a very different style for a long, a lot of people than well, uh, most operas, right? So it's just like, it's so different. The All of these players are not necessarily experienced with a like bog standard opera. And I don't know how, if they have the ability to set that up or like that has to be a learned behavior, you know? Well, actually, something I would point out is that a so Nitro really hasn't had an opera aside from OC, like even like his Valorant teams, right? Because okay. that was like kind of like all kind of all over the place. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's Valorant yeah. drawing, but, um, drawing to the Valorant XP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Okay, but, that's but fine. so but I'm just saying he didn't have an opera his team, and then obviously you go back to Grand Slam Liquid and was Nitro opping the IGL, and you go back to who Elysian Math played with last year, which was Fallen opping as the IGL. Okay, and then you have fucking. Um, Yekindar, who's obviously playing with Jame as the ops, you know, who was also the caller. So it's like all these people have been playing with oppers who were like the IGLs as well. So, you know, yeah. they had that innate agency to like set them set up the yeah. game for themselves and to like kind of like call around like whatever they want to do. And so now they're playing with an opera who's not the IGL, who's even like the youngest player in the team, actually, who maybe is like, you know, doesn't want to come in and say it to like Elise, Naf, and Yekandar, like, this is what I'm going to fucking do and I don't give a shit. Like, well, even Nitro, wanna, too, the Grand Slam guy, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like yeah. all of these players are more experienced than me, but I have the one of the most important roles, if not the most important role on the team. So, what do I do with that? Like, caught between two worlds, you know? So, yeah, yeah. that's a rough And then spot. obviously, his teammates are caught between like having played with these IGL offers for the past three years and now they got to like have a young guy that's like got to kind of find his voice and set up his team. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's just one of those things that's fucking... Maybe they'll figure it out. I don't know. I'm kind of, like, not convinced that they will, to be honest, but it would be nice to see OC posting, like, a 1.15 consistently and Liquid just fucking winning events, so hopefully that's what happens. Yeah, Any anything else? I think... Well, I, I guess I guess something else that I would bring up, though, um, is that I think we kind of saw a pretty good showing from... Uh, from Elyse at this, I think people were kind of drawing into question how good Elyse could be, uh, you know, in big games or I don't know, like it, it kind of like felt like he sort of tapered off at one point this year. And I think he sort of reminded everybody how strong of a player he could be uh, beyond that for Liquid. I, I think like. For their map pool, actually, I, actually, this is something I'd want to shift into is kind of like Anubis talk in general for this event, like because this was the first big event where we were able to see Anubis. I feel like we actually got a pretty good showing of a couple different ideas and styles. I think 
actually, I liked. Um, not sure whose T side I liked the most. I think I might have liked. Was it G 2s T side the most or Liquid's T side? I liked both of theirs, and then I liked Phase's defense the best. I don't know what you guys caught from these games or like or any just general Anubis analysis that you guys want to bring to the table. I uh, I'd agree. I really liked watching Liquid's T side on the map in general, but I I'd say the map as a whole is so refreshing to watch. Man, it was so good. Like every time Anubis was in a veto, I was like, "Fuck yes!" I'm making as much time to watch this map as possible, just because it was just genuinely like, I don't know. When I see a veto and I see like Vertigo or Ancient yeah. or even Dust Two, I'm just like, "Ah, fuck it!" Like maybe I'll catch a few rounds of the map if I'm not covering it or whatever, or mm-hmm. I'll watch like I'll watch the VOD and skip through some rounds. But genuinely, just every time Anubis is on, I was like, oh, this is, like, very enjoyable to watch. Like, even the the way the teams play it, it's always, like, I feel like there's always some, there's always, like, some form of action happening at some point. Like, whether, even if there's not necessarily, like, a kill incoming, like, just the way that teams are forced to, like, take fights and take certain bits of control, like, there's always something happening, and it makes it genuinely interesting to watch. Ancient, you might have, like, people take, like, outside, like, lower, like, the, the B control area, and then they'll sit there for, like, 40, 50 seconds. Yeah. Like, cool, this is really sick. Yeah, I love yeah. watching this. Or you'll have people, like, lurk into Red Room and then sit there for 30, 40 seconds. I'm like, this is just, okay, cool, I guess. I think one thing that does suck about small maps like uh, Ancient and Vertigo, like, I think they they are, like, the two smallest maps, right? Well, in terms of actual distance that you travel, yeah. yeah. Because, like, obviously Vertigo has double, like, floor space or whatever, so it's, like, squared or or whatever. But it's still, like, okay, I go here and then my my footsteps are heard or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, well, one thing that I would bring up about a map like Ancient is that because you actually kind of get space, can get space so quickly, like, you, you can kind of just slow the game down and that's why i think the games are really not exciting for us as viewers because they just they do just take lane or they take cave and honestly the optimal play is just just play to punish for the next like 30 seconds if the cts make an aggro play like how many times this year have you seen the t's get that b lane control and then the cts just push down b ramp and just die like it happens so much and you're and i think so many people are like why would they push like they let's the obviously the twitch comment is like why push question mark but it's literally like because they want to have some control they want to have some ideas of what's happening but then the t's are just playing to punish because they're playing optimally too and so it it just leads to like very boring interactions whereas anubis there was a lot more in in terms of uh, just like people kind of like fighting for different amount, different amounts of space. I think like the the space that I'm, I, I actually think mid was a bit better. It played a little bit better than I thought it would. Yes, but yeah. what I thought was was less interesting was actually the A side of the map. I think A's kind of fight towards that like curve area, like the and then and then kind of into the opening of the the canals. I think that kind of led to like less inter- interesting interaction because I almost just felt like it it's like it almost kind of felt like pushing like B tunnels on Dust 2 but you are rewarded so much more heavily as a CT. Like you you like push that and then you can see them tr- the the uh you can see the T's trying to get into cave to get into B now like through the hole of canals and it's kind of like I feel like that's so strong. Like, I feel like if you push that, I almost feel like the sight line should be blocked one more because Rops was just pushing that over like a few yeah. times over and over again. And I was like, 
I was actually thinking to myself, why isn't Sphinx playing here for Vitality if Rops is doing this for, for FaZe? Because Sphinx is a guy that just wants to push all the time. Yeah. And already, playing in A sucks ass. Like, if you get Exect on, you are going to die. So I would put someone that's, like, very aggro, like Sphinx there, and I would just say, yep, just, if you feel like pushing, just go. Like, we're not, you're not going to hold the bomb site anyways. We don't want you to die, obviously, for nothing, but if you have an inclination that they're, they're going towards mid or they're going towards uh, B, just go because the value we get out of your push is like it's 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 very hard to combat that for tease what i'll say about yeah, it's, uh, it's, go ahead that's what i was gonna say because it's not really related to this but it's so funny how like just like this whole like fucking like interesting like game plans like you know pushing versus pulling and, you know all this interesting stuff going on and then twitch chat would just be like why push question mark <laughs> yeah and that's just that's, like a fucking idiot that has no idea what he's doing it's the most silver comment ever like it's it's like it's like, only also, gonna get like, worse guys like the ancient changes that recently happened to push ct spawns further oh, yeah. back it's gonna get worse now because the whole oh, problem yeah, with ancient no. is that you don't have enough forward positions like think about overpass or think about like mirage where cts yeah. there's like a line of scrimmage that you can go to and you're like okay i will take a fight here or go for info and then i will fall back into the bomb site or some other piece of cover and then i can either play on the bomb site or i can go back even further to play for retake and it's like this multi-layered approach to like you know map control and like you got to fight for what you got and, and and to keep control of that and then there's too many things to get control of the entire way through so you have to pick and choose based on what your default is as ct side and also what your read is on the team it's this very rich sort of decision tree but on ancient it's just fuck there's no spot anywhere so i'm just going to sit right here at the front of the game and then i'm just going to wait for t's to run into me or i'm gonna think oh well maybe i should push and then i have to fall back so i can either push forward or fall back once and then that's it there's no multi-layered there's nothing else that you can do on ancient so now you can't even get to the point where you can realistically push until like super way late into the mid round which is going to encourage t's to do this thing again even more now they're going to play to punish now the cts don't get there as fast or whatever it's like it's like valve doesn't understand what is wrong with the map so then they're just like what if we make it worse by thinking we're making it better i don't know man i like do they have mappers on the on the team over there like what, what is going on just remove it just bring back train an Agreed. actual good map yeah and we can all be happy and then remove vertigo too yep and replace it with literally anything else i don't care what it is <laughs> yeah seriously the, the original <laughs> dust like literally would be better than the shit please uh, i don't know if i can co-sign that but i can co-sign a lot of maps actually like yeah. Tuscan you, you or can something, tell me fine. that like watching pro teams on dust one would not be more interesting than vertigo I think the meta of that map is actually really bad, though. Yeah. Like, Dust One's meta is literally just like okay, so maybe just the infinite... off after a month, but then we yeah. can find something else. Dude, I think that map is so dumb CT sided for Dust One because it's like there's only two breach spots per bomb yes. site, and there's infinite places to play as a CT. <laughs> like, you could play forward, you could play back. It's a bad, it's a bad map, admittedly, but it I, is, but is, I. Yeah. Honestly, if it were if it were Vertigo for Dust Two, I would think my life would be better. Actually, yeah, I'll just say sure. that. I think my life would be would be I'd better for the Dust most part. Vertigo, definitely. Yeah, Dust Dust Two Absolutely. is fine with or like me, the actually. same Dust Two or Dust Two it changes. Even the same, same Dust Two. two. If even they literally the did, even if it were literally that Dust Two for Vertigo, I would have been fine with that. I I mean, well, it was basically, I, if Vertigo yeah. went out and Anubis came in, that would have yeah. been the best change. You know, yes. followed by oh. Ancient being replaced by something else <laughs> like Train. I the the CSGO guy on the twitter or whatever did ask he actually asked me which one would you take out for it and i did say vertigo for my own pleasure but it but actually like you know dust or overpass for like if you want to 
keep things fresh. Overpass? What no, I like, I like, I, I like Overpass a lot. Overpass you is only problem. bad because, you are the problem. Overpass is like only considered overpass. bad, I should say, because of the CT meta. Now that the A1S is in the dumpster, yeah. you know. I think I think Overpass is actually a better map now. Yeah. I, uh, how many times do we see it at this tournament? Like a couple? Like Yeah, we didn't see it too often. Yeah. Inferno got Maybe slightly twice. better as well because there's less smoke spams, know. but I'm like the only person like like Thorin's the only person who thinks that new nuke is terrible. I'm like the only person that thinks Inferno is terrible. Overpass so. is only played twice. Vertigo has yeah. played once. Yep, Vertigo's only played once. Vertigo's oh. only played... Oh yeah, that I was the other point I was going to yeah. make, is that Anubis came in, and everybody's like, holy shit, Anubis, and it's actually a good map right out the gate in pro play. I can't wait to watch more tier one games of this. And then the one time Vertigo was there, I was just like, fucking close the stream, bro. I'm not watching this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it actually, I, like, it, it made it worse to watch a terrible map, because I just watched a new and exciting and fresh map, and I don't want to watch Vertigo, so bye. Yeah, so that was... Yeah. I, I'm going to say, I'm actually, this, this is my boldest take, I think, right now, is that I actually think Mirage, to me, is just, it's just the best map, again. I think it's just, I think it plays so well. I think there's always, like, such a great story being told by every every match that unfolds on it. I rarely see a game that just is, like, this feels stale to me, because I always just see so many different ideas being thrown out from, especially the offense, where it's, like, there's so many good ideas good ways that you could like like outthink your opponent and like the mid rounding on it is oh dude once you get yeah. mid control dude it's just beautiful it's just beautiful just, to watch conversions towards bomb sites with it see i love the game of like doing like your mid control but also you need like good ways to like fake your mid control because there there's so yeah. many teams, even still where like i can instantly tell if they're mid or not just based on how they flash because mm. like they'll yeah when they when they actually take mid they're like super set up it's like you know flashes like over mid and they're kind of like popping at the same time and then they want to fake and it's just like one dude going over there and he's like tossing a flash over the roof three seconds toss another flash over the roof and it's just i don't know i always try to like train my players to like listen to these things just to yeah we know i mean that's what that's what like gnosis and stuff are so good and star caller for lead of fire break like this is just all any tool right now that's just basically like flash tendencies they seem so valuable but like I, I don't know player i don't know i think you've experienced this too mix where it's like sometimes players just don't want to always like try to memorize the sound yeah. that made or some shit because like, they might think i'm i'm wrong and then they make a bad play because of it and then they blame that or some yeah, shit i so mean like, it's it's just like you don't even have to do that like if you hear three flashes pop in mid within like three yeah. seconds like there's a difference between hearing like yes there is two flashes me, over six seconds or something me, you don't like, have to be like oh this 100 means that nobody is in mid but like you know it's a general tendency like yeah. there's there's like a lot of information you can gleam off that Doesn't i just have to explain it to like, players nope. that like just because like you know like just because we know they're in mid or we know they're not in mid doesn't mean you have to fucking do like a specific yeah. play off of that exactly like, if you yeah. if you know they're in mid and you still feel like you want to flash out and just fucking fight them in mid i don't really care like you can you can do whatever fucking play you think is the best but like just having the info of like what they're doing like the general trend is always just going to be beneficial for you it doesn't mean you're going to win every single round because of it or anything it's just increases the odds of winning a round which is just a good thing just knowledge you know? it's just yeah. it's just info uh, that can help you influence your next decision more accurate like and make a more accurate choice mm. it okay does, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out just saying no um okay anything else you guys want to say about the world finals you guys want to get into like year recap stuff um any actually, how about this? Any disappointments from the World Finals that you guys want to touch on? Anyone that like 
because I think I think the general run is phase, but like we kind of already touched that with the G two phase series, and it it was kind of a commendable loss for phase. Yeah, like, I, feel I, like I don't even know. If, it, I mean, it's a disappointment they didn't end the year in the same place they started it, but you know, G two earned that victory. It didn't feel like it was like oh, yeah. phase just capitulated or whatever. So I thought that was good. Obviously, Vitality still not a top team. I mean, a top team because there's only so many yeah. teams. But you know what I mean? Like they're still not a top three team in the world. I'm um, still not going to contend for titles with this lineup, it seems like. So that's that's disappointing because, I, I mean, when they first made the changes before Spinks was even brought in, they went international for the first time. It's like, bro, where's the, uh, where's the you know, the time? Well, give them time. They're learning English. They're calming in, in multi, you know, different languages now. And it's it's like, OK, well, we'll give them time and maybe they'll be powered up for the majors and stuff. But then they don't really show up there either. So that that's a. It's disappointing that it's come to the end of the year and they still haven't really shown us much. Obviously, they won a title, a single title, but, you know, it wasn't one of the important ones. It wasn't a stage match. It wasn't an arena match, you know, so a lot of asterisks or mm-hmm. a lot of just like, why is it only one tournament with this amount of how, money and this amount of players? How about uh, like Outsiders? You know, like I think that was a team that I think most people probably at least would have put them like top four or at least make playoffs. Like, I don't think that was much of a stretch. But you look at the teams they lost to, and actually it's number one and number two. So it actually kind of softens the blow a little bit to still have some hope for the future for Outsiders. Like, if they played like an OG, dude, they would have definitely... Like, I think they definitely would have won. If they played um, if they played Vitality, I think they could have won that, actually. Um, I think there's a couple teams here. And, and obviously, if they played a Heroic that weren't quite themselves with... I'm not going to read too much into the Heroic games, but yeah. I'm also going to say I think that Outsiders could have beat them. Like, Even though Outsiders came in last, I think they easily could have been like the fourth best team here. Or mm, fifth? Fourth or fifth? They could yeah. have made playoffs. Easily sure. better. Yeah, easily better if they had a better better group draw. Um, what's, but Yeah, what's I, disappointing about the Outsiders loss and them crashing out is that it's going to make people think that the IAM Rio Major was even more of a ridiculous fluke than it was. Like, yeah. they're just like Heroic makes the run look way more, you know, like good for Outsiders because Heroic won the last big event before this. It's like, oh, okay, Heroic are a legit team and they did it against FaZe. Isn't that great? Outsiders are really also a legit team because they won against Heroic. It's sort of like that retroactive applied. Now it's like, okay, maybe not. Maybe Outsiders just fluked it, which is kind of, kind of sad, especially when you realize that they lost to the teams that made it to the grand final right so it's like maybe just format or maybe just unlucky or whatever but yeah i don't know we still need to see more from this team also when you win a major people are going to be downloading your demos like they're going to know how to play against you so team uh, players aren't going to or uh casual fans aren't going to realize that part but that makes it a lot harder to succeed in the very next tournament especially since you just won you just won the major bro like you know maybe you're in you might go right back into a boot camp as we heard from james banks but like Nah, bro. Like, yeah, I don't know, man. There's got to be something where you're going to cool off mentally. They they did go into the, their opening series of the whole thing being like, fuck it, we're picking Anubis in our first yeah. pick. So yeah. like, you know what? Respect. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Massive know. respect to that. Massive respect. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they didn't do that well. No, they didn't. They didn't. They, it was actually, well, actually, actually, I watched that game pretty closely because it was the first Anubis game and I really yeah. wanted to see how it played out. I thought that their their CT side was kind of just just too passive. Now yeah. that I know everything I know about Anubis, yep. I think that playing back on Anubis is bad. Like you just because there's so much value, like I was talking about earlier, from pushing out A or even just contesting out Long B a little bit more. Like Long B is a little bit weird because there's almost like too many spots the T's can be. They can be on the high ground behind that shit up there. They can be on the low ground. They can kind of swing from the left side. Like there's all uh, these yeah, spots. One like, of my established Anubis callouts. Yeah, <laughs> that shit <laughs> know, over sorry. there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that shit. That shit over there. That thing over there. Like <laughs> that fucking. That dude 
Dewey and that, that shit, doohickey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like close, close left, close right. Like yeah. there's just too many spots to push out long B. So you're not going to always favor that sort of engagement. But I think that you kind of need to. And I think you need to just like put pressure on the T's a lot more than what Outsiders did. Because yes. when I was watching Liquid play that T side, I was like, holy shit, their map control procedures are so well thought out and they're so good and clean. But then I also realized like nobody was actually contesting them for that space to begin with. And Outsiders yes. were very much like, let's just keep turtling into the point where we can get exact on. And I think that's when I had the... My observation was just that if you're getting B split from look from the cave and from long, you are just screwed. Like your angles are gone. Like all the angles you want to play, like on this, any interesting angle is just like completely gone. And you have to basically play what Scrawny was calling glyphs. Like you have to play that spot very like too, too frequently. And then it's just not even that good of a spot. Like if we're being honest, like it's just okay. So I, I think that you just like, it was it was good to learn about that, but I, I think that outsiders probably are like, unfortunately, just not like I just I I don't, I don't know like everything just went perfectly for them at the major, and it's you still want to consider them a top top sixteen, but like I almost am like sixth, like I'm almost like fifth or sixth. I'm not yeah. actually saying they're in the top three for sure. I I was gonna say I actually liked uh, Liquid CT side quite a bit as well, and I don't know if it's just because I think fits their players really well. Like the way Yakinder is already kind of set up as it is for aggress aggressive plays, but also like it really fits Elysia's kind of like re-aggress sometimes, like catch the right timing, flash into certain spots. Like it, like just the way they were playing, it seemed like they had a good beat on on how it should be played early on. I think a lot of teams are probably gonna catch on over time, but like. They just had a far better game plan in a lot of these matches, I felt like. Uh, just on the event as a whole, the one thing that did suck was the time zones. For, I think, everybody. I, yeah. For Europe yeah. and North America in general. Because, like, these matches were starting... I think they were starting at 10pm for me, because I'm Pacific time. But, like, they were starting at 1am Eastern yeah, for a bunch of people. And, like, dude, the, the Grand Final was at 2am. Yeah, so the Grand Finals sucks. was... Oh, the timing of that was brutal. For, I mean, I, for me, it was midnight, but I actually go to bed pretty early. So I was like, yeah. oh, God, like, why? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, woke up to all the results before I... actually For most of them. For mo most I... I, I think I caught a couple games live um, when it was starting a little bit earlier, but I, for the most part, I was just watching the YouTube streams back, which is why yeah. my tweets would come out like hours after the games ended always. Like I would just write down my, my observations from those. Um, okay, then let's, uh, let's, I think that's it. That's a good wrap for the world finals. Um, pretty interesting event overall. I, I, I think what's, even though, even though, like, you know, there were those extenuating circumstances, like the time zone and the kind of audience or whatever, I think, honestly, it was, like, just generally speaking, well carried out. Like, I don't, I guess there were a few tech pauses. Wait a second. I'm not even thinking about tech pauses because literally I watched every game, almost every game on YouTube. Yep. So I just skipped the yeah. pauses. So I actually can't even yeah. comment on that. I actually just, they, they didn't even matter to me. So, um, Okay, well then moving on. Let's just let's just start getting into this. So what we're what we want to do now is a year recap and we're going to bring up some of our like our bests and I kind of want to talk about a little bit about like runners up for some of these categories too because I yeah. think actually a lot of these categories were almost too obvious. So like let's talk about who could be the number 2 in these spots. But we'll we'll still obviously get into who we are crowning the the champions of some of these results. So first things first, we're going to talk about the best IGL of the year. So 
I almost think this has to, is going to be unanimous. Is there a hipster pick here? No. Obviously, it's shame uh, because he saves the world or something. He, he has the best stats. He has the best stats, actually. My, uh, my like, for fun pick would have definitely been Gene. Yeah. Well, we could, we could do runners-up, but, but yeah. let's, just, let's just clear the air that it's Kerrigan, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Let's clear the air. Kerrigan's the best IGL of the year. The championships, like what I call the Triple Crown winning the opening major, the, the Katowice and Cologne, like that's three of the four, what I would call the premier events of the year. Yeah. Um, the world finals, I think you kind of want to throw in there, but whatever. Like, I definitely I mean, weren't like yeah. flawless the entire year, but I don't know how you could argue against winning a major Cologne and Katowice all in the same year. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we. I think we could. There could have been room for like era discussions if they were able to win either or any of the following. If they won the second major, if they won the fall finals or the world finals, I think we could have started like saying, "Is the phase era here?" Yeah. Or like, "What's what's going on?" Or is it is it the best year in Counter Strike ever? But as it stands right now, the the championships that they won were obviously incredible. But it's yeah, like they just kind of lost steam. I think after they achieve that what was it cologne victory it's just kind of like we just never really saw the same phase again unfortunately like the fire that they brought to the beginning of the year to keep on renewing themselves to like they were they were bringing new strats like every single tournament it felt like they were bringing new ideas um different people were like going for openers like some one tournament the the openers would be from rain the next would be like like twist or like Kerrigan would do it or like like Brokey would start suddenly have like a 22 percent attempt rate for openers like they were changing things so much throughout the year or throughout the first half of the year and we unfortunately just kind of like didn't get to see that anymore um I don't know I, I mean like Let's just move on from that. But Kerrigan was the one that obviously put it all together. He was the one that obviously like got them motivated enough, um, put them all on board. Uh, Blame F did like a really. I asked Blame F on the Snake and Banter we just did about what he thought made Phase such a deadly force at the beginning of the year, and he kind of said the way I would s- summarize what he said is like anyone was willing to take initiative for this team at any given time. And I think that's something that is actually just as much of a system as it being one person that takes the initiative at any given time, because usually on teams, you know, again, like you usually spearhead your approach, but if you actually can attack from every direction at once, then it's very difficult for, for teams to understand what you're going to do next and to read your tendencies, because it really doesn't feel like you have tendencies if everybody is so adept in their roles. So uh, runner up, runner up, yeah, runner up, yeah. Where I wrote down a couple people that I think could be in this conversation, uh, mixed throughout. Uh, Jame, I think that there was a slight case actually at the beginning of the year for Snappy to have this. Yes, uh, I think that Apex actually does deserve a, a little bit of a nod. I'm not saying he is the runner up, but I think he deserves to be talked about in this discussion and. I think that's it for me, actually. I don't I know if I would, I would say Cadian deserves a nod too. I was gonna well, say oh, yeah. Did I did I say Cadian? I thought yeah, I no, Kadian. no, no. I don't think oh, so. Okay, okay. Well oh yeah, okay. Cadian, Jame, um Apex, and Is that it? Is that is that the, is that our three? I'm yeah, gonna or, pick I, that I, you've just, just never thought of. Just, Nobody's ever thought of this pick, but it makes a lot of sense. And it's Blade. Because he is actually the IGL of Navi. I don't care what anybody says. He's the guy who writes all the fucking notes on the paper. He's the guy that James says, hey, stop doing that. That's cheating. And nobody agrees with him for some reason. But it's Blade. Blade is the IGL of Navi. And he is definitely the runner up for me. 
okay. I just said and uh, yeah, I was I, I was gonna make an Afni joke too. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, okay, if we want to be like. I'm gonna give the why it can't be Daphne. I'll give that. I'll give that, and we can all think about who the runner-up is. But it can't be Daphne because you can't have as many star players as he does and not be succeeding more than and and collapsing in the fashion that they have been collapsing this year. Like the the some of the losses that they had, some of the losses they had this year were like were basically like he's he's just like. He's hurting the team. He's literally hurting these players that were doing so well individually. And that's why I like the Mao's collapse at the major is another strike against Naphany in a series of collapses this year where th- th- my three biggest collapses for Naphany this year are <laughs> one collapses. The three biggest collapses are one losing to Mao's on T side ancient and not being able to even get into cave against an exertion who's a rookie on stage. By running the same strat again and again, not mauling him out of position, not flashing him out of position, running through smokes to try to approach him. So Naphne can't... So that's one. The second is is them losing at Cologne to Liquid in the group stage because they literally... Naphne bought a double op, and then he saved that op because he got no kills. And then the next round, he got the op actually in a post-plant position where he was opping, and he literally killed nobody. And then the third and the worst one by far is that loss to Imperial at the first at the Antwerp major where literally it just felt like these kids were pissing themselves the entire like they couldn't find control like anywhere when they were playing that game. Like I, I can't even like the collapse they had there was what you expect from complexity at the RMR. Like when you when complexity loses that, it's like. Like they, they're just like they're not even necessarily like world class, you know. And so they can lose to Imperial, even though they're the better team because of nerves. But when Cloud Nine lose to Imperial, it's like after a while, it's like it shouldn't be nerves. It should be you are so much better than this team. You you cannot lose to them. Like their nerves, nerves and experience can like make a team should make a team that's like rank eighth be the team that's ranked third. But it should not make a team that's ranked twenty ninth be the team that's ranked third like that's that's not where experience wins you games it's in the close moments when the teams are already evenly matched to a degree so nafany is well think, beneath my top six IGLs i think of the year. we're i think we're three for three on podcasts uh <laughs> since that since that exertion uh cave hold happened yes. for maui mentioning it three for three times in all of the podcasts since it that has moment. to keep happening <laughs> it has people have to remember that it nafoni Nafoni is still finding ways to keep himself alive on this roster. And and I, obviously we couldn't have the last episode of its server time without a classic Maui Snake Nafoni run. So it, it was very fittingly. The very middle of the bingo card was Nafoni. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets that space for free. Oh yeah. Um okay, so let's get back to the, the main discussion. What are what are the cases for Let's, let, so let's let's whittle it down. Cadian, Apex, um, Snappy, and Jame. Yeah. Let's. I, I think the weakest case for me right now is actually probably Snappy. Yes. Like yeah. I just kind of fell off. I think okay. Snappy. Snappy showed that he can build a good system. It's just the fact that when he lost a superstar player, he hasn't really been able to build it back. Like even with decent pieces, like without Sphinx, it's just been like. 
Sphinx looked like a top five rifler in the world in the first like yes. few months of the year. It was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but since that point, it's kind of just been like, okay, like he's decent. Like he's had good moments, uh, 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 snappy that is. But like, I don't know. It's just out of out of that pool, he's easily the weakest in in terms of like overall contention. I would say. I'll make my best snappy apologist argument here, which is that actually the point of Sphinx is points for Snappy and against Apex because Apex has not been able to use Sphinx on Vitality in any degree close to the level of success that he had while on Ents. And that means to me that uh, obviously Snappy was doing something right, had had him plugged into the right spots in the system, was able to maybe, you know, tweak some things mid-round if it wasn't working out. Meanwhile, Apex can't seem to make this guy do his job for whatever reason, you know? And, and that's, I think the buck stops with the IGL as much as it stops with the individual player in that case. So that's where I'm like, maybe they're more 50-50 in terms of the we- case being the weakest. Uh, neither of them, for me, Apex or Snappy, get the runners up in this particular angle, but definitely both worth an honorable mention, I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, let's. I guess let's like wrap that together with with Apex there, because you, sure. you put that forward. Um, so Apex, I probably think is like second or third actually in this discussion for me. Like, I actually think I know who my runner up is now after this, but. Uh, for me, Apex wouldn't get it, I guess, because of kind of what you're saying. I think the pieces that he has are very strong. Yeah. But, like, they were able to at least, uh, uh, to, to give him some credit, I mean, they won Pro League, so they won an event. Um, and they they kind of did it where you look at, if you want to just, like, be purely stats-driven on this, like, um, and why, like, again, like, Apex greater than Nafni, like... They had basically for 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 Vitality, they had Zywu, who was obviously playing at an astounding level for that. And then they kind of had like Sphinx and Medjisk who were doing quite well. They were doing um, for that tournament. But like none of them were popping off the page where like Cloud9 have like two guys that always pop off, usually pop off the page with Shiro and uh, and Axile. But for Apex, I guess like what's been really difficult to watch for this team has been like just the 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 lack of cohesion or lack of like like. Yeah, I mean, I guess you would want to say the Sphinx setup is is really a big, big portion, big portion of why we kind of have to hold that against him. Because if you take a star player, if you were so committed to getting the star player, taking all the pay cuts and everything like that, you would probably do everything you can in your power to win more so that you can offset your pay cuts you took by winning more prize money. But like not no one's obviously thinking about the money. But I mean, the thing is, like, like Sphinx has just gotten so bad. And I, I give this like. 60% 60% on Sphinx, 40% or 30% Apex, 10% nebulous factors associated with Vitality as a whole. And okay. so that's kind of like where I don't, I think, I think Sphinx should have just like gotten a little better himself. He's like, like how many times is he going to be like, guys, I can't do this one thing that I need to do, which is anchor bomb sites. Like, why, why can't you do that? You know, you're supposed to be a pro player. So I would. I would still hold it mostly against Sphinx, but I, I guess with Apex, I think the thing is like we're never always mega impressed with the T sides for them. That's like one thing the eye test has here, where like the other two in Jame and Cadian are just like I think their T sides, just generally speaking, look mo- more cohesive and like just better. Like I, I think map control is taken cleaner, the conversions are cleaner. Um, it doesn't always lead to as many bailouts. Like think of think of this year, how many times 
uh, vitality when they were when they were doing well or winning games like they actually need some crazy zywoo clutch or like even just like unlikely like a majisk to just get a weird yeah. multi-frag out of nowhere but like with jane with like outsiders it's kind of like and heroic for example like it just feels like the system is more team oriented like it's like trade 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 like they get into a bomb site and it's like just like uh they they make it more they just have like a cleaner route into into rounds i'd say um, especially for heroic there's like very few games where you'll see like two players with 10 kills and one with like 35 like it's just you don't see like hyper carry games super yeah. often usually like a lot of the times you look at the score and it's like oh everybody has like 20 25 to like 18 kills it's like decently spread out there's like always a good amount of like team play and trading efforts going into it so like i've never seen like a massive disparity like obviously at the start of the year stalin had like a, a pretty good um like individual showing in that but like ever since they made the change i think like they've looked in general like much more cohesive in terms of like everybody fragging at an even level throughout series mm -hmm. okay let's so do you guys you guys want to vote for our runner-up uh, Mix, are you are you gonna be going with James for your runner up, or are you gonna go with Kadian? I'm 100% going with James. I think oh, losing, okay. I think losing someone like Yekendar from your team, yes. and then rebuilding that team into a major winner, even if like they're not necessarily like an elite team all the time, I think it's just just an insane thing to do. I think it's I have to give him a lot of credit for it. Yeah, I think the way that you if you value Kerrigan over Glaive, which is me then you have to realize that, oh, the reason why you're doing that for the most part is because he's proven it so many times under so many different circumstances. And in that sense, you know, Kadian changed, Heroic changed a lot less about their system, about their roster than what happened with Jame, obviously, right? So in that sense, I think the case for Jame is very strong if that's the angle you want to take. Whereas like, obviously in terms of absolute accomplishments and placements, maybe Heroic looked more solid than Outsiders slash Virtus Pro, but um, obviously Outsiders won against Heroic in that grand final of IEM Rio. And it's like, okay, well, that was the moment that Heroic was really supposed to prove that they're a contender. And okay, maybe they did that again in the very next event, uh, but... I'm still not 100% sure about that. Like, Outsiders as a team is less impressive accomplishment-wise than Heroic, but I still feel like Jame had a harder task and still got his major W somehow. So I'll, uh, I'll also cast my vote very tentatively for Jame over Kadian. Yeah, I, I slightly edge out Jame. I think even if you remove the Rio major result, like I would say in terms of consistent placements, Heroic does uh, as a whole impress me a little bit more. Yeah. But the fact that Jay managed to rebuild that system after losing Yukinder and and bring up like Norbert and Fame into this into this team as well and keep them at that consistent level just puts them over the edge for me. Like it, it it's not um it's not by a super large margin by any means, but I think the fact that he managed to prove himself with that roster at the end of the year does just edge him out over over Kadian, even though I think as a as a whole heroic results were a little bit better. I, I think you guys have actually more or less stated where where my my take was going to come from here. That the it's like the the main deciding factor is the adversity that outsiders and James face yep. this year, which like is so like heroic made a move which at first people were critical, fairly critical of. I was I was myself like just like keeping a watchful eye on it, and I was kind of like. This doesn't seem any better. This doesn't seem any better. Okay, it actually is better now. Like that's kind of how that 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 whole path went for them, the Yabby move. And that's kind of like 
in some ways, like it doesn't even necessarily feel like to me, Cadian had to upend his system to make that work for Yabby. It's yeah. literally just like the upgrade that that what James had to do was so much just more impressive as a whole in terms of like he had to rework the system. He had to figure yes. out Norbert can't play certain spots that that Fame should be playing some of these spots. They move Kicker to a support player like these and like Kicker has been playing horribly like as an individual for a while now, and yet they're still finding ways to like go pretty deep in some of these events. Like do, look look formidable against different teams like. Like, Kickert's, Kickert might get kicked from this team pretty soon. Like, I don't think this role fits him at all. And I think that even though he's such a legacy player for him and Jamin and, and Dostan, like, it, after a while, you have to be like, we need a better player for this spot. And it might actually just be Sanji, if you're being honest. <laughs> oh it actually gosh. might be Sanji. Like, Sanji just <laughs> took up Sanji. the role more in stride. No, I, 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 I would never in no universe think that I'd be saying this today. But actually, Sanji took that role and did more with less, actually. Like, Kicker is doing less with more, which is bad for... But to get get back to... um, Yeah. So so I know this is, like, not necessarily going back, but I remember, like, one of the... It was, like, must have been one of our first episodes or maybe, like, something after that, where, like, one of the questions was, like, out of, like, these certain players, which one would you, like, be the most likely to build a team around? It was a bunch of, like, support players, you know what I mean? And I think the one we almost came to the consensus was, was was Sanji. Just because we wanted to see like what he could do, you just like made him your like ultra <laughs> player and put like all the resources into him and just like see how he played. It'd be like it'd be interesting to see. He, he's like the thing that's great about Sanji though is like it's like when you're if you ever do HLTV fantasy, it's like you're buying a pay- player for and so like. For anybody that doesn't have this context, every player in fantasy usually is like two hundred thousand dollars, and you get a million to spend on your roster. Sanji, in a real life context, like metaphor, would be like a fifty thousand dollar player. Like it's so cheap, like so dumb cheap. You get to do everything you want with the (laughs) other four players, and you just get like star, like your Kinder, Jame, Flit. Like it doesn't even matter. Like at that point, it's just like anybody else could be the fourth player. Give me Nico. Give me Ziwu. Yeah, just give me anybody. But but like I yeah I I bringing it back. And to, to close out this point on Jame, the major victory itself is just the crowning achievement in Counter-Strike. And I think tournament to tournament, it was more impressive than the fall finals. Um, I think also that the way that they were able to rebuild themselves from and like so quickly, so quickly. Like I was watching when they were first playing with that lineup, like dude, they were just losing. Well, they lost to like Movistar Riders, who ended up being a little better than people thought. But like they were they were like losing to like like they well they lost to G two in the Antwerp major. I guess I was with you, Kindar, but like they, they were, didn't look I, awful, but they didn't look like they were going to be a top team anytime soon. Nobody thought that's, they were winning yeah. a major, right? Like that's that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, right. Man, y'all remember when Movie Star Writers were the number five team in the world this year? <laughs> and everybody and everybody remembers all five of their players' names. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, yeah. I, I'll give it to James. Let's uh, let's let's wrap that one up. Um, okay top rifler of the year so i i think there's two choices here but if does anybody have a third that could enter the fray does does anybody think it could be anybody other than axile or nico no no definitely the two okay then let's just let's just work with those no one on liquid for me has been consistent enough like nath illusion yakandar have all had their 
they're like lows, especially compared to like Axel and Nico. So they're all like kind of like a tier below for me. You know, the problem with and this then, particular event or this particular award, if we want to call it that, is like Nico and Axel both had dips or their teams didn't succeed yep. enough to give them enough room. So it feels like like viscerally that they those two like didn't have a strong and consistent enough year to earn the award. But when you look at like what Mix was saying about the people in Liquid, yeah, I, my runners up or whatever were going to be either Yakinder or Twists. But Yakinder, he okay. has been a bit up and down. And Twists, FaZe does it by committee a lot of the time. He's not even the only star rifler, if you want to use that term, that would be on that team, right? And so he's the guy you would pick, but he's not superfluous compared to the other teams, right? He's not, or uh, superlative. He's not, he's not like way above and beyond the rest of the roster. And so it feels like it's nothing, it's not a slight against Twist. It's just that like the rest of his team is good enough that he doesn't stand out massively compared to what a Yakinder we hope will do for Liquid in the future uh, to a higher level than he did, a more consistent level, especially in playoffs. And, you know, maybe Elise can also be in that conversation. But yeah, so I guess it probably has to be... I, I still don't feel super comfortable putting Axile there because I feel like he just had way too few... Like, his um his some of his matches at the, the most recent major really spelled it out for me that he's like still not 100% there. He hasn't fully arrived in some of these big games whereas Shiro obviously was way less I was way less concerned about well, than that. So I would I would actually put like maybe even Blameth and um and Caserato as like below that level. I mean like it would go like Axile, Nico and then like Blameth Caserato somewhere just below there. Yeah, I was they're definitely say, not like top contenders, but they would yeah. definitely be like in the top five. I was gonna say Blamef and Case Serato, yeah. but two another person, another name that I wanted to mention just because I was looking at him was Frozen, who I feel like has gone I love Frozen, pick. but I don't he, I don't think he makes my top five, but I yeah. love I love what Frozen did for Mouse this year. Like yes. I like the, the second mentioning. half of the year a lot. Yeah. I once they brought once they made those changes. Yeah, I, I think that he I mean, the thing about Frozen that's so sick is that he's kind of the veteran and he's, what, 20 years old or 21? Yeah. It's just so hilarious. It's just so, so amazing. Um, it's like a I baby feel... with a pipe going back in my day or whatever. It's like, I, I, really? So, so, see, this is also why I feel actually quite vindicated for because I had this take a while ago that was like, Frozen's better than Rob's. Like, I made that I made that oh, claim okay. a while ago. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, now we see, now we see when, when, when like, Rob's is kind of supposed to be the guy, the, the that man, that dude on Mao's. We oh, saw dude. <laughs> he was just there was just no like he was putting up actually insane numbers, but there was like no impact to those numbers. Like they were still getting absolutely shit on. And there the rest of the team wasn't great behind him. But like it kind of is some of the same pieces that they have now. And you would even say it's a downgrade. You would actually might even you might be willing to say it's a downgrade if you just kind of look at the names because it's all these academy players that they have now. And Frozen's that guy now. And they are going deep in tournaments like so Frozen's impact as a player to me is so much more obvious. I think his stats probably are worse than what Rops did when he was at the end of his tenure for Mouse. But like the impact is just it's it's like it's so clear cut to me how he's doing so much more that's actually leading to winning games and i i don't think even the argument that like oh but he has like more help like does he is torzy like that much better that like it's torzy's a little better than acor but is he that is he like would you say like he's more than 15 percent better like i don't know like i don't think he's that much better than than acor was like i think like you actually look at torzy's being the weak person on that team now but okay for the Axel Nico discussion, because I, I keep getting sidetracked. Okay, who's who's voting for who right now? 
Um, let's go, Pernogo, who would you vote for between Exile and Nico? Has to be Nico. Just um, obviously won an event. I mean, C9 technically won an event, but whatever. That was so long ago. Won an event most recently. I'll, I'll say recently. <laughs> it's for the year. It's for the year. <laughs> no, nah, bro. Like, okay, okay yeah, well, yeah. do you care more about Dallas or the World Finals? I'll just say that. I think the World Finals is like a slightly... It, the, the thing is, Dallas had more teams. They but, had more but, teams, uh, but oh. all of the, like most of them were just like mad, like oh yeah, uh, we were pulling out for non-COVID related health reasons or whatever heroic I, said, and then like all the visa stuff, and then all the stand-ins. It's like it, Dallas was almost not even like I, I know you worked there, Bobby, but it felt Dallas like to did me have as a, a lot of asterisks. There is like but so yeah, many you can't discount it as an event. I would say I'm not saying it. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, so I shouldn't d- discount it, but I'm just saying it's like they're not the same thing to me. I mean, like the World Finals did have a lot of the top teams and OG, so. I don't know, man. Just saying. Um, anyway, yeah, Nico mostly wins okay, just because so of his, his peaks. Yeah, his peaks are, and, and also the fact that, like, again, I said earlier, nobody really felt consistent this year as a, as a top rifler, but I think Axile fell off more when it mattered. To be fair, Nico didn't even make it to the most recent major. That's what Axile's, that's, yeah. Axile's major yeah. games were so underwhelming to me. Mm. I can't help but feel like if Nico did make it to the major, and this is, I don't know where you assign this analysis, but if he did, he wouldn't have done that. So I just feel like Nico is the better player. Uh, and I think also accomplishments do bear that out, but it's a bit harder to argue for that um, insofar as it's like, you know, they're more even or whatever, but I don't feel like they're even as players. For this year, I'm going with Axel. All right, with Axel. Okay, why? Uh, I mean, honestly, it's like pretty much 50-50 for me. So I'm going with Axel, largely because I've kind of been riding this train for a while, the Axel train. Can you stand up for us and show us what team logo is behind you on that chair by any chance? Is <laughs> but um, I don't know. I kind of just felt like he's been more consistently there for me just the entire year. Just when I kind of look back at the year and how each one is done, I just felt like Axel. I don't know. I, I just feel like I saw more from Axel more consistently most of the year. I feel like if you ask me like straight up, I feel like they're pretty 50-50. Like I can understand someone picking Nico, but... For me, I'll go with Axile. I just feel like he had a really good year for the most part, and yeah. Yeah, uh, I think... Okay. I think yeah, go for it. It's, it's a really hard call, only because I think Axile's had the consistency of not having, like, multiple roster changes that he's had to undergo this this yeah. year, whereas, like, Nico's had to have, like, multiple roster changes come in. Systems changed, IGL's changed, so, like, there's more outlier factors to kind of consider with that. I think just in terms of like the the end performance, I would just barely edge it out to Exile only because he's had that consistency. Um, yeah, it's it's a really hard call because I think in general Nico probably has like higher peaks and he's a tiny bit more consistent as like generally year to year. But this year, just based on like the pure results, I I'd have to even edge it out to Exile a little bit, even considering like in Dallas, Axile got the MVP. But for this last final, Modesty got the MVP. So, like, even considering something like that, the fact is that, like, Modesty was one of the biggest factors in, in this run for G2, whereas, like, the Dallas run, it was Axile who was kind of powered up. Um, he also, like, during the major, yeah, he did kind of go missing early on, but, like, they stayed in it long enough for him to kind of come back towards right at the end. Um, obviously, Akshiro and Hobbit were, like, the big factors there, but even then, like, you. Nafni was the problem there. So, um, okay, it's, it's like really, really close. Like this is probably the biggest toss-up, I would say. But yeah, 
and Axel just gets it for me. That's it. Okay, so I'm gonna bring up one stat when I was thinking about this that I that I like a lot, and it's it also fits the fact that I am pick, picking Axile here. It's the versus phase performances, which I find to yes. be incredibly important for the case for Axile because Cloud9 in some ways kind of were became phase killers um, in the latter portion of this year, and the rating that so the rating that Axile had versus phase throughout the year. 1.23 like unreal like uh, so good for a rifler nico had a 1.14 so okay and and it's basically the exact same amount of maps um i think nico played they both played 13 maps so it's the exact same spread and sample size and so i i give it to axel because it's kind of one of those like versus top five opponents but even more specific than that it's versus the best team of the year who's playing better and actually if you do look at uh, versus top five opponents, Axile, Axile uh, versus top five versus top ten. Axile is doing better, doing better in later stages of tournaments. Always like if you look at these numbers, it's like versus top thirty opponents. Axile had a one point two zero for the year versus top ten one point two four versus top five one point two nine. He's literally getting better the harder the games are. Whereas Nico and like. State flatline, like he stayed as good as he was versus all opponents this year. Basically, no no change in performance, which is good. Like, I mean, obviously, like not many people have that in in their like stat cabinet right now. But like, it's at the same time, I think that's something that convinces me for Axel because one of the reasons that I thought, for example, I think like uh, like simple in what was it when he got when he when he got robbed that second time for me, but or. Well, either way, I, I just think big games, the like the kind of like big game sort of uh, approach to this is where I would I would take Axile as well. I, I think like that's that's kind of what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say here. Whereas Nico, a lot of times like they, they're never winning. Like Nico's always a contributing member to the team, but like sometimes he's not actually doing the most. Like even in the the G two versus Phase series, they just played. It wasn't actually like Nico that really did a lot. It was like Hunter. And JKS yeah. Clutch and like even Monacy did better than him. I mean, like, I mean, it's a lot of people that did better than Nico, but I'm almost never gonna see in a series versus phase like Axile not just being that guy to to do it for them. And maybe that's something to do with roles a little bit, or like positions too, like just kind of being in the right place at the right time. But like I think Axile has just shown me this year when he's playing the stiffest opponents, he's very consistently uh just a masterful player. So that's my that's my vote for him. Okay. So next category. Uh I, I actually think this we're we're kind of taking a while on all these, but I think like this one is also just super clear cut, like top player of the year. Maybe yeah. is anybody not saying simple? No. No. no okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for runner runner up, are we are we actually saying Shiro or are we saying Zaiwu then? I think it has, or to be it has to be Zaiwu. It has to be because yeah, C9 okay. are not a partner team in these leagues. They don't even play in most of yep. these events. There's another reason why I would say like the argument for uh, Nico versus Exile is really hard. Is that I, Nico didn't make the major, but like C9 didn't play a bunch of these events, and so I don't know where that. Yeah, but not are. playing like a blast groups versus not playing a major is like a yeah, pretty yeah. large difference. I think not playing a major is a very big blight on a record. Sure, yeah, a player. I think so. I think so too. Um, I, I want to bring up one thing that I think really sells the um, the the Zaiwu angle here, 
is his redemption arc this year because he actually at the beginning of this this Majisk Dupree lineup, once yes. they started speaking in English, he was playing quite poorly. Yes. But then like through that adversity, he became a player that like basically is just like top of the world again. Like he's speaking a second language now. And I think we gave Jame a nod for the adversity he faced this year, despite the fact that maybe he had less overall results or form that was showed consistently versus Katie. And I think the exact same thing has to be said here versus Zaiwu versus Shiro, like taking that that one extenuating circumstance. And like, I, I mean, I think just Shiro had less to deal with this year. A lot of things are just built around him. I also think Shiro's stats, generally speaking, are pretty inflated because he saves more than Zaiwu. So yes. I, I I give that as a knock against him. Like, that's why if it's just stats for stats, it's kind of like eye test. I think Zaiwu has more impact than Shiro. I've seen Shiro like absolutely decimate a series before, yeah. like literally just carry Cloud9 on their backs also though. But like, it's actually the only win condition for Vitality. Saiwu so just uh, still looks unstoppable on the server. That's the thing. Like the the obviously like yes, Shiro's statistically might have like a slightly better rating, but Zaiwu when he's actually playing still looks so so in form. It's just I remember at the end of last year when people knew Vitality changes were coming, Zaiwu started trying to speak a little bit of English even in the, even in the old roster. Like he was doing interviews at last yeah. fall or whatever. And his English wasn't, like, super good. He was still pretty uncomfortable, but, like, at events towards the end of this year, he's been, like, much more fluid. Like, it's kind of impressive seeing him adapt over the course of the year and come back to that level, like you were saying, Maui. And especially in these last few tournaments, he's been, he's been, like, absolutely sick. So I think it's hard to really give Shiro the edge when, even though, to Shiro's credit, that fucking major performance was sick. Um, yeah. Like, Cloud9 would have been out so much earlier without him. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't put him above Vitality. Or, sorry, put him above Zewu just on, on, like, overall form throughout the year, I would say. The one knock against Simple is that at the very end of the year, he looked mortal when he's never looked that in his whole career. But the problem with trying to stack that up against somebody like Zero or somebody like Shiro is that, well, Zero specifically has just looked like he's himself until it's like the big game at the, you know, like people have looked through it. Yeah. There was a Thorin video recently that people can go back and watch if they missed it. It's like a breakdown of, of Zywu's stats, br- like just broadly speaking at some of these big event games where like he shows up in the early stages and then he peters off after. And that is a concern. Uh, if you're, especially if you're trying to overtake uh, simple at any point in, in your career, you, you do need to find that other level. You need to, you know, tap into that X factor, whatever that is that uh, gives simple like this insane edge. And, you know, a lot of people have tried and failed before to, to, to be as good as him. Uh, or to be that level on that level but i think zywu can do it it's just a question of like will he get to it and he hasn't gotten to it yet this year but he's still obviously a very superlative player he's in the running for you know top three or top two or whatever as far as this panel of esteemed analysts goes so yeah i just feel like we're we're looking at once again the development of what could be the next simple hasn't been proven yet uh would be really interesting uh, so it w- will be a very interesting to see where he goes from that. But uh, yeah, I think he edges out Shiro for me just because, um, as Maui Snake said, he's the, he is the win condition for Vitality right now. Even though they have Spinks, he has not been the superstar that we thought he would be. Uh, and even though he has these like veterans from Astralis that, and the coach, obviously, like it, something is still not clicking with Vitality, as we talked about before. So the fact that I was still being really, really powerful and really, really on form 
uh, again, admittedly, until some of the big games, is a, a nice shot in that uh, a nice little notch on his belt versus Anshiro's, who you know there was adversity that was extracurricular, obviously stuff with the war and stuff and all that, but uh, and of course the Nell posts, we all love Nell posting here. Uh, but uh, beyond that, it's just Shiro doesn't seem like he had the same level of like roster instability specifically. Uh, you know, if you ignore the fact that his old org was bought and all that, but you know, you know how it is. I feel like our answers to this next category will also probably be the same. Mm. For fa- okay, so we're, we'll do we'll do favorite series now. Um, this is yeah. I think I think there's only a couple. I think it's more like again. I think okay. So so let's just let's just go. What what is your what's your guys' favorite series of the year? Got to be the Cologne Grand Final. That's the <laughs> the obvious pick. Just like simple yeah. as the obvious pick, the Cologne Grand yeah, Final. Yeah, again, is, we got to do runner up. Yeah, runner up. So, um, yeah. but I will throw out a few others. I think the uh, the Antwerp Grand Final wasn't as as you know nail biting as the Cologne Grand Final. That was obviously the phase major win, um, but it was still a good major final, which for some reason is actually very rare down the years. It's like a thirty yeah. percent of them are actually good for whatever reason. So uh, there is that. Um, I also think that the Phase Spirit semifinal was a very hype matchup. That was, that was actually going to be my runner-up. That would be that yeah. would be personally my runner-up. The other contender that I can think of is if you want a bit of recency bias would be the heroic win over Phase in the fall finals, the last fall finals. Uh, so that was another match that I thought went the distance, was compelling, was interesting. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get like a, an all-time great series or whatever, or something that could at least be a, a year-round you know runner-up at these World Finals. Uh, because if we had got something that was like a really hype match on Anubis maybe that would be even more exciting uh it didn't end up happening you know it's just the luck of the draw you can't always get like a uh, one for the ages every tournament obviously but so yeah for me it would be the clone grand final or maybe that spirit semi-final against phase at Antwerp um and so those are like my one and two and the others you know three and four whatever order really so I've got two runner-ups so a one that actually came immediately to mind for me was I really, I really enjoyed Fury over Snavi from the Brazil Major. Yes, yeah, I did, I did too. I, just, I was going to put that in mind, probably. Yeah, I felt yeah. like the atmosphere of it was just really nice, and just, it was just, it was just A+, plus, A+, plus atmosphere. And the other one that's, like, even more of a run-up, like, this is not only I would have said, but it's probably just because of, like, the personal investment I have, like, watching the people involved, was, um, I got really into complexity versus imperial. In the oh final yeah, yeah, Major. that one was okay. crazy. I I that actually do. Crazy. I actually think that's, that's a really good show, dude. Oh, we yeah. were up till like one a.m. in like we weren't even there. We were at the Europe RMR in Malta, and we were sitting there like flipping our shit in our in our Airbnb watching that match. Yeah, like just obviously just like the investment I have from like knowing the complexity guys and having been with them, and then. Obviously, it being the Brazil major and purely trying to fucking qualify to get to that stage was was, That's was a really, really good. And it, was, and it was a really good. It was a really good series. Yeah. Um, Honestly, Imperial had a few good series this year. They did. Yeah, they, did. they were they a did. very exciting team this year. They did have some really good ones, actually. Um, I, I kind of think we've maybe slightly overlooked the the Cato grand finals here like i i guess like that one was pretty that one was really good, good because it was i i like i loved it i re- i mean i liked it a lot but like something felt like i guess i guess kind of like the the strength of g2 just kind of so for some reason even though i was watching it and invested i kind of just always felt like phase were gonna win that like yeah. i don't know i just some reason it just didn't feel as tense for me at other moments, as as some yeah. of these other series we're talking about, whereas like 
I don't know why. And maybe that was just kind of that impenetrable feeling or unstoppable feeling that that phase had earlier in the year where it just felt like they're just going to get it done. Like this just I know it's going to happen. Um, but I liked the my my favorite overall BO3 of the year was uh, Cloud9 phase Dallas, actually quarterfinals. Oh, really? Where, OK. Yeah, that was my that was my all 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 2022 favorite BO3. I thought, I mean, like what Axile did there is also kind of what seared into my brain to make him my rifler of the year. Yeah. Because that's that's when he just ascended. And like, like, I also I also say that's the series that saved Naphne's career. Because <laughs> if they didn't have that trophy, what what did they accomplish this year? If they don't have that one trophy, if Axile didn't go actually God mode there, then like what who's saying that this lineup is still the same five people right now? Right. Because. It would be Shiro and Axile and maybe Hobbit, and then you'd probably swap out two players. So that one, in terms of impact, was mega. It it also like was one of the few notches against FaZe earlier in the year, because it felt like they were, again, so so tough to beat there was probably some major hangover there but i actually thought that was incredibly competitive like i don't i don't think the major hangover is like the best uh descriptor for what happened there because like it was the, the maps for 16 14 16 13 16 13 like dude they were all super competitive it's not like anybody was just lying down and cloud nine even had to make a big comeback on the last map too it wasn't even like uh like phase were up 12 to 7 and then axile just said fuck it like i'm winning this game i'm winning this series for us right now and so that one Felt like it reminded me of like what the star power in Counter Strike could actually do uh, for a rifler. Yeah. So there's that one. I think a lot of the ones you guys said already are were really good. So I'm not going to repeat them. Other than the Imperial Cloud Nine one was just, I mean, uh, complexity. Imperial complexity one was just like that was an edge of the seat kind of game. I mean, Imperial uh, yeah. had two fucking bangers this year. So I, I think also. The- yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the one, they, of, they had the one of the first major, right? And then they had the other one in front of the crowd. Well, they, when they beat when they beat Gambit or Cloud Nine or whatever at the first major was pretty. Yeah. That was that was unbelievable. Yeah. That was just like so unbelievable too. Uh, it's it, even that, even the yeah. the Imperial Cloud Nine game at this last major was also pretty sick. Yeah, it was, yeah, like it was the like, revenge arc, the OT. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty sick. Yeah, that's true. There was a lot of good ones. Um, like it, it, it was, wouldn't um, have been a best of three, would it? Or was it? Was it a best? It was a BO three. It was a BO three. Yeah. They, they lost to nine Z in the best of one. I thought that dude, was a best of three for some reason. Imperial Imperial were up on map one, fifteen to eleven. Yeah. against Cloud Nine, and on map two, um, Imperial were up. 15 to 6. They could have 2 owed. Yeah. They could have 2 owed Cloud 9 at 2 Dude, at another It was like major. the score lines from the MLG so major. Crazy. Literally like the score lines from the MLG major almost. From when yeah. Luminosity were up against Liquid like oh, same yeah. two kind of score lines, right? It was like 15-9 and 15-6 in that major oh, or something. That that that, that um, awesome. swapped them, yeah. Yeah. That Luminosity versus Liquid series is the most pain I've ever been in watching Counter-Strike, <laughs> I think. That was <laughs> That was absolutely brutal. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. I think that wraps up this topic. I mean, I, it, like all of these in premise were actually like, just like the number one's obvious, but then except for the rifler, I guess. But then the number twos are what's more interesting. Yeah. But the last, um, last is it's not even really a category for 2022. It's what we are thinking about for the future, and it's who's going to thrive in 2023. So looking at the general landscape right now, guys, we we see that. I'd say you you have a couple like unlikely suspects from from maybe where they were earlier in the year uh marching their way into the top 10 but where do you think like if if you had to right now pin a team who's going to have the best 
2023. And obviously, it's very tough to know all the roster changes. But if you are thinking about that, that's fine. Then who who are the teams that you're going to pick that are going to, in your opinion, have the best 2023s? Astralis. Oh my god, no. I way. think they're yeah, going to be sounds... back. They're going to be back. If they find a fifth that is like... Buzz decent. is actually like... like I feel like people, because they don't know Buzz, are underrating him. He's not actually a bad player. Pretty decent. I don't know him. I don't he's, know. Uh, he's Buzz also is... been playing... So like all these face-it games, Device has been playing for the last year. Buzz has been playing with them a bunch. Oh, he's his, he's his pug buddy. He's this is like buddy. this is like Bemis from mm, Nico and okay. Phase Clan way back in like 2018 or whatever yeah. it was. He's just with, like, with, oh, this yeah. is gonna be great. And then bye, yeah. not in our team. Though. I think I think Astralis are gonna make. I don't think like don't get me wrong. I don't think they're gonna be like top one or anything. But I do think that they'll be like. There's a bounce once back. again content. Yeah, they will bounce back quite quite significantly. I think. Mm. Do you guys think Phase will bounce back? Yeah. How do you how do you think they'll come into the? Do you think because I'm not I, sure. Like the break could refresh them, like the player break, and then yeah. you know, getting some weeks off with all the days coming back could reignite them, or they could come back and just still feel flat, which would be really bad. I think that I'm like, not sure. the fact that their baseline yeah. seems to be like top four at these big events, obviously the major being a very big black mark against them. But beyond that, it's like, okay, they're go like what people don't remember when like people are like, you know, obviously the fans can be consumed by recency bias. Um, and maybe some people will say that about me because I said G- uh, Nico over exile. But what I would just say is phase made it to playoffs in every event other than the Rio major. They were in top six or whatever playoffs, every single event I went back and checked. And, and it's like, you don't, that, that does, it doesn't mean that you have an era necessarily, but when you combine it with the fact that you were the team to beat in the first half of the year, and then you were still in title contention for the last two big events of the year as well. Again, not an era, right? There is no real era, but you know, these guys have the ability to do that and, you know, to do that consistently and to do that against whoever is the top dog or the contender, the underdog, whatever, um, whoever might else be the title contender. And and that to me is like, I don't think that just goes away. There needs to be a more of a, a, disp- a very specific reason for that to, to fade away. And I, I haven't seen what that reason would even be for phase like. Uh, you know, uh, maybe Rain doesn't get his major MVP performance back or something, but they have a team that's multifaceted and, and can adapt to that. It feels like they actually have like heroic is the one that does it by committee that people will always point to phase does it by committee at a higher level. And I feel like that insulates them from needing to make any other roster changes and means that they should actually still be a contender going into 2023. I would say they're like the most obvious lock for it, actually. Um uh, I don't really think there's another team that you can say is like guaranteed to be a title contender. Um, you know, you could say there's very likely, but who would be more guaranteed than Faze at this point? I I would argue. I think. Well, I'll say who I think is most yeah. likely to just have consistent placements next year, and why I think they are going to do better than Faze is that I think Heroic are still hungry for a major, and I think that's uh, that's something that Faze right now just kind of like ever since they did win that cologne, it doesn't feel like they brought themselves back to that level. And then I think you're going to have to actually start holding people accountable for what they're not doing for phase very soon. And I think like, for example, one guy that felt to me like he was over the hump and I'm surprised to see the resurgence that he had this year is, has been rain. And I think rain, for example, is like, to me, the first that needs to go if FaZe want to actually keep things fresh. Um, and like, 
geez, just imagine like instead of a rain, what if that, what if that, what if Faze were able to be like the ones that snagged a, t- a person like Yakindar, who's also super hungry for something moving forward? I, I mean, I don't think Yakindar is going anywhere from Liquid per se, but also like, why not? Why not Frozen? You know, why not? Why not somebody that can kind of play a lot of the same roles as Rain? And then you just upgrade again. But I think that with with Heroic right now, they still have that chip on their shoulder where they've now tasted blood in terms of taking down the fall finals. But they know that's a that's a legitimate tournament, but they know it's not a major. They know it's not a Cologne. They know it's not a Cato. And I think going into Katowice, I think actually I, I would pretty safely right now expect that bookmakers would put Heroic as uh, the number one team, like in terms of like odds. So I think that go throughout the year until they win their major. I think that Cadian's going to be as hungry as ever because he knows Cadian's a guy that also like is so hyper aware of storylines too and legacy and what every, what all that means. And that, that right now, if Cadian were to leave his career, even though he is on the older side of players, he's 27, he's still not as old as like someone like Kerrigan and someone like even rain. He's younger than rain. So like, I think that he still has a couple more years to give and he knows that this is his final, like, like the the major or like one of those other prestige tournaments that's where what he needs to actually feel accomplished and so i think he's going to bring that fire whereas kerrigan right now like he got his major and i just like him him missing so badly on the real one makes me think like i don't know if he's going to like reignite himself that's that's why i think heroic over phase for my my team to to smash the next year I feel like Kerrigan was definitely trying with FaZe to win. And the reason why they ended like it was a gambit in, in a sense, a gamble to pick Vertigo and a really like heavily prepped Vertigo, a map that was previously their perma. They wanted to get to a seven map pool, which would have made them untouchable if it had if it had actually succeeded. But when you prepare on one thing, necessarily you have less time to keep drilling the other stuff. I feel like that was a, a major contributing factor to their embarrassing set of circumstances at the Rio major. And I don't think that was lost on them either. And I think with the map pool change, it actually opens up quite a bit. We see they're rife for, for the, the title of top one Anubis team right now after this event. Right. And it's like something that, you know, you are going to have to work hard to take it, that away from them. So that plus, if you're going to cut rain, he's so crucial and brings so many intangibles to the team. You would need to replace him with somebody who Kerrigan, has, at the very least, has played with in the past, which would be a Frozen, actually, if you wanted to go that route. Uh, but I wouldn't really necessarily be able to pick, like, my short list would be very short if I was thinking players that could replace rain and not nuke the whole chemistry of the team. So that would be something that I think is really, really hard to to call. I said it before the Rio Major that I was still taking FaZe as the favorite, which obviously looks silly now, but everybody looks silly with their predictions yeah. about Major. Um, yeah. And the reason for that is until they've they've proven that they can't win, then then that's the time you give up on them when they've proven they can't. But until then, you have to say that they can. Uh, and I think it's too early to call, even though obviously we all want, like if you, one of the, the major things that happened this year is that no team besides phase was the team to be, but no team was just a completely ineffable and couldn't lose a series. We didn't have an Astralis type from the, the era of Astralis. And I think if we do get back to that, some people will say that's boring. I think it's fodder for everybody else to improve. It's the reason why FaZe Clan got ROPs to begin with is that maybe that would always would have happened, but the, the reason why they did that and became the best team of 2022 is because Navi was the greatest team of 2021 and just stomped that Stockholm major and made everybody make roster moves as a result. So that's like one of those things where I think it, it sort of supercharges everybody else. And now we're entering into that period where Teams will individually, if they're hungry enough, as Mousenik said about Heroic, make their changes or do their, you know, style changes. But 
like when every team is sort of like maybe in the running, you are going to get that era of stagnation where nobody really wants to rock the boat. Maybe they can, maybe they can be like liquid and cruise at sixth or whatever um, and not make any changes that it's not time yet. And I feel like phase can easily take back the year, the next year in the same for, uh, form that they took the first one, like the, this past year versus this next year, the la- landscape is not going to be that different in terms of the opponents that phase face um, biggest change could be heroic, but that remains to be seen. Noden, Noden, Mix. Who do you guys think uh, also might might come up, or, or actually like, or who do you do you think that it's going to be a twenty twenty three for Phase or for Heroic or somebody else? And I know, no, you already said like you think Astralis is going to be a team that's kind of sneaks in, but like not as you, yeah, not necessarily yeah, in like top two, not, but I think that right. they'll definitely like be a bit more contentious, like maybe in a top five position pretty consistently, mm-hmm. not at the early portions of the year, obviously. Because they're not at Cato, but yeah. they they will be able to rise back to that level. Like I think people are underestimating just how good Device is going to be, considering he's shown that he can actually come back with a consistent level. Actually, actually, let's let's make this a little more interesting. Who who kind of like who is a team that's like not necessarily top five or so? And don't I would say don't just look at the the rankings per se, but like who do you think is one that people aren't really crediting right now, but you think has a lot of room to grow, like? A, a big grower, but not necessarily a shower at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> NIP with Alexi B at the helm seems okay. like a project you could invest in at this point. Obviously, they didn't have a great major, but they followed it up with a very promising fall finals. So I think that's a... And I've always rated Alexi B. I know people maybe had a crisis in confidence with him uh, after the OG project and then obviously after G2. And it was a really weird move that NIP picked him up at all, but... I can't say I'm disappointed after seeing the most recent time that that team has had an outing. So I feel like they'll be drilling pretty hard uh, going into the next year. So could see them rise up. I'd give Fnatic a little shout out too. I think that we can see them. Like, I don't know where they'll end up, but I think that they will remain like a consistent top 10 team in the year. I just don't know like what their peak is quite yet. Like they've shown like generally consistent improvement as this roster. And I think like, Everything that I see when I watch them is, like, good signs. I just don't know where they'll end up with some of these mm. other teams, like, kind of also fluctuating. Like, it's kind of hard to get a beat on what the level of some of these teams will be comparatively. But I think Fnatic, if they continue their kind of growth, even if it tapers off a little bit, even if they keep uh, mustering, like, a little bit of growth as they go, I think that they will be, like, a pretty decent contender. They'll probably be, like, that upset team that that like breaks a team in the quarters or or like stops a team from getting playoffs that we should usually see um i don't know if they'll be like a title contender i i have my doubts on that right now Mm. makes you have a team that you think is going to grow i'm mostly i don't know even about grow but i'm really curious to see where miles ends up and kind of where their trajectory actually takes them yeah yeah i I really was kind of thinking that too like i'm really I'm really not sure like where they're gonna go to be honest. Just because last time we saw them at the major, it was where you know they had a pretty good run. Top so, four, yeah, top four. Like, like I wonder if they'll be able to like hit the top five consistently. Like, I don't know. Malice is the team I'm like most interested to see next year to see like what kind of form they could they come out with. And I think they could. And I think if they came out like in good form, it would actually surprise a lot of people. Still, I I want to throw out um, spirit. I actually think I think Spirit has like mm. no reason that they should get worse. I think Wonderful is still like 
getting adjusted to pretty much playing tier one CS and he's already playing very well. And that's what's that's really cool because uh, this team looked dire when I watched them at ESL Pro League. I thought they were horrible. And then then I started seeing them more and I was like, Jesus Christ, I have to start paying attention to this team. And then I'm like so pleasantly surprised by uh, basically the roles just seem to fit very well for them for one. I think you, they kind of have that like prototypical IGL that's sort of aggressive and chopper that's going to like kind of make space. He kind of like uses himself a little bit like Kerrigan. Um, then you have Patsy who is like probably actually top three entry fragger this year if like top five um i could safely say that actually top five i could safely say top three is a little bit much because they haven't played enough but i think that he has been unbelievable for them and then wonderful has this kind of weird passive style of opping but he's so good at it that it's kind of it, it's it's very hard to like even compare him to a player because he kind of is just like I notice Wonderful is just holding these like really kind of like far angles to try to support. He's like a support opper that can kind of flick between angles very frequently so he can actually watch multiple angles to get that his team can get peeked from at the same time. And I'm like, I don't know anybody else that's doing that. And he's like doing it at such a high level that I think Spirit's just going to be a really tough team for people to play against given especially. But the only thing that's holding them back, obviously, is not a partner. So you kind of like, when are you going to actually get to see them play? And they have to like always qualify for tournaments. So that might hurt their chances eventually. But I, I think that that's a team that I would not be surprised if they're able to make it back to the top five. Um, beyond that, it's hard to like really pick anybody. Um, but yeah, I think I think Spirit's kind of my team that I think is going to like shoot up again. So, yep. That's a good shot. I'll say Snappy Let's... will rise even more after one roster change. Oh, and, one roster change. And okay. somehow G2 will also rise after one roster chain. That's what? weird. I can't believe that those are connected. No, oh, my God. oh, you're trying to say that it's happy for a hook. I can't no, believe. Not, not I, I don't know how that that could happen. That's exactly, not. But <laughs> feels uh, like that ain't somehow those two are connected somehow. I don't know that snappy ain't walking through that door. <laughs> Why not? It's wrong. Because <laughs> uh, they're OK. They like hooksy. They like hooksy. OK. Let's do the Patreon questions we have. Let's do the Patreon cues. Um, we're coming to the end, guys. It's, it's, it's approaching slowly. But we've got a few here. Actually, we have, well, we have five yeah, now we have because five. Some, people, some people put some in today. Yep. Uh, let's see. Did anybody put one in in the last? Um, I've been refreshing over time. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to refresh my notifications, too, actually. Nothing, nope. nothing no, since no, no, the nothing latest editions. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we got five for the last episode. Um, I'm just going to put it out there publicly so people are, there's transparency here. This Patreon will still exist after, but I'm going to shift it to becoming my channel. So if you're our sub right now and you want to support me, the actually some of the money on something I'm working on, uh, this is a little confusing. So basically, this month is paid out to everybody here divided equally by four, which is like how we've been doing this for the entirety of the show. But what next month is going to be the payments are going to go to me but also i think um i have this payment plan for pronogo because he's helping me out with some other stuff i'm doing so you're basically from this point forward after this month's payments you're paying me for the patreon and a little bit goes to pronogo for the next few months after that and yeah. then everything's going to come come to me unless i need help then i'll start paying people again but as it, that's just how it is and how it stands so let's get into the first patreon question here this was submitted november 30th from Badronis. If Valve asks you to do balance the M4s, how would you do it? Oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. Is this before the change? You can't I think be, it. Right? Wait, when did it come out? When did it come out? 
the M4 A1S change. I almost feel like it had Maybe to. Maybe it was after that, yeah. This is also something we've said like 50 times on the episodes. Oh, no, <laughs> like it, it was. It, it had happened. Yeah, it, hap- it, November it happened. November 18th. Yeah, November yeah. 18th. So so he did write this after. Yeah. So, so he, he actually wants to know. He wants to know if we would what do else it differently. Would do. Or in okay, so, yeah. yeah. And P.S. He says, should diffuse kits be cheaper? Ooh. Um, the diffuse kit. Okay, well, actually. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, if you want to work these two questions in tandem, I guess. Yeah. I guess what I wouldn't mind seeing is the A1S increasing back to 3100. And then also the diffuse kit decreasing by like a hundred dollars or something like that but i don't think yeah. it. Yeah. that's kind of a weird the i don't know if this thing, change needs to happen the other thing you could do and i've i don't know why this hasn't happened yet to be honest i mean besides the fact that it's like a rat's nest of of programming in there so don't don't look if you ever have the opportunity to look at the leaked source code for counter-strike don't do it if you have any programming knowledge it's just going to make you very sad but the uh kit should just be throwable because then my rich player on the ct side can just drop kits so I don't know that that seems like something that that would have added to the if you're going to go the route where like the name dropping the is super kit, tactical. Though. Yeah, exactly. OK, yeah. that's why it's uh, not happening, because it's a really yeah. difficult thing to actually program in. But if you weren't if you're going to explode the M- men in black out that out of your mind, then yeah, why, that seems like a fine thing to do if you're building stuff from the ground up, because then again, if you're like Valve agrees with the principle that throwing the dropping the, the nade thing is a positive change for the game because they haven't rolled it back. So why not do that? Right. And and so that just like adds to that where it's like, you know, I can drop the bomb. I should drop the kit. Also buy the bomb. Just saying. Buy the bomb. To, to answer the first part of the question, I actually feel like the M4s are quite well balanced right now. Minus maybe the economy side of it. That's like the only thing that I would say is like a little questionable is like one costing 29, one costing 31. Um, yeah, I think as as in terms of like actual weapon balance, they're quite fairly placed at the moment. I think Valve did a pretty good job with this last update. Um, I definitely would wish that you could pick from both guns during the game. That's like one of the big factors because like it would also change like maybe one round you get an a1s because you can only have like you want an extra flash or something like it does enable like a little bit more of diversity there but um just replace the famas with the a1s bro nobody uses the famas get it out i mean navi love the famas for some reason (laughs) such a disgusting weapon some people love the UN doesn't even too so i don't know what's i feel like bit buys it and it's not even that good for him so like, yeah, every time I see him have it, it's like he doesn't finish the kills. Nope. So like, yeah, sad. exactly. Um, so yeah, I think on that side, it's pretty OK. Maybe I would reduce the the. I mean, you said you want to increase the A1S price, but, but I would but say decreased, even decreased diffuse kit price. In yeah, I would I would say maybe just decrease the A4 price by $100 and bring it to 3000 and okay. have it kind of there. Um, I don't know if diffuse kits should be cheaper, though, like. The game already leans a little towards the CT side by default. Yeah. I don't know if we really need like further opportunities for teams to to like be able to win CT rounds in that side. Like it is like four hundred dollars is a decent bit of money to like if your economy isn't super great, you do like consider do I get like an, a smoke or a kit? Or do I get like two flashes or a kit? Like it is a choice. Yep. Whereas if you would decrease it, it becomes like less of a factor, and I don't necessarily like that. Like I like having the idea of like 
maybe sometimes only two players can afford a kit, and the other three will have to like scavenge it, and you might lose a round because you don't run over the kit. Like yeah. it, it does like that. That kind of stuff is kind of interesting and adds a factor to the game versus like making it cheaper and letting everybody have one. Um, I don't think that that would necessarily. I think four hundred dollars is a pretty good price. For yeah, it. I think it's. I think it's good too. I I don't think it should be changed. He's asking, should diffuse kits be cheaper? I'd say no. I'd say yeah. yeah. Uh, Easy Pete asked December sixteenth. How long should Navi continue to view electronic as their only solution to leadership? Context: In an interview with PlayGG at the end of their Blast World Finals run, Blade essentially states that Navi is in a development stage with, at the very least, electronic as IGL and maybe even NIP, NPL as another player to add. Well, he said this now twice now. I think he said this at the fall finals and at the world finals yes. um, from two different sources that they don't really have any other options to go to. Like what's out there is out there. They know what's out there. And so they are running with this electronic as IGL project. So, I mean, do you guys have any, what are your guys thoughts on I guess the first part of his question, how long should Navi continue to view electronic as their uh, only solution? Zero, zero days. Yeah. So you think they just switch right now? I wish they would. I wish they'd I find wish they would too. Yeah, I just don't think electronic, like his performance has suffered from it. Yes. It's pretty clear. Yeah. And I don't think losing electronic as their like second to third rifler is a good, like it's just not a good thing solution for them long term at all yeah. like i don't know what the in-game leader solution would be for them but i don't think that having electronic do it is good for them for the foreseeable future like it's already proven to not like have elevated them back to the level they were at before uh or close to it and then like i don't know it's just not gonna like from looking at the way the other teams are coming up as well it's not gonna make navi a championship contender uh, if electronics performance continues to suffer, which I don't see it not. All you so, need to know is yeah. that besides yeah. talking about Simple as the best player of the year, we did not touch on Navi at all this entire episode because that's how irrelevant they've started to become, which is sad. Yeah. Like as a top like yeah. title contender or whatever. Um, obviously, they're still like maybe in the top 10, right? But like for me, I look at Navi and I'm thinking, yeah, in a world where politics wasn't a part of it, they would just pick up Jerry. But for one, Jerry is like chained to a fours basement somewhere. <laughs> like he's just never getting out of that. And then for another, obviously they're not interested in picking up Russian players. So my radical proposal is that they go and grab, um, of course I'm blanking on his name now, but he just signed with EG. You guys know what I'm talking about. The Kazakh. Yeah, Neilan. Yeah. That guy. Get him in. Neilan. Get Neilan in. Guy knows how wow. to call an aggressive T side. Okay. That's a unique one. Sure, I would hate every step of that, but just saying. I I actually see a, a world though where Electronic starts to understand the role, especially given the break that's coming up. Like, I completely discredit their Spring Finals victory being Electronic's doing, um, because he basically just got to play his roles, and everybody just like, I mean, everybody just basically played what they were already doing, but they just used the system of the last tournament that they played in with upgraded firepower. Um, but I think, like, I would probably give until the first major of the upcoming year, and then I would pull the plug on it if they don't, like, if it's a disaster, and by Navi standards, a disaster is not making playoffs, then you just have to, you have to, you have to stop doing this. Like, it cannot, you cannot continue as a, an org such as Navi having sub-playoff results. Like, that's where it's really bad. 
But like, I mean, I don't want to, I, I hate giving time. I think giving time is one of the sh- yes. weakest things to say in this entire space because yeah. people's skill, skill is so fleeting in Counter-Strike. That's why I'm always like, cut Naphany, cut this guy, cut this, like, please, like, just use the prime of everybody to the fullest extent. Yeah, yeah. Simple is such a huge outlier that you you kind of can expect that he's going to be good for a little bit longer. But even him, he he did a little bit worse at the end of this year. And you don't, you never know when that, that's, that fall is really starting. And so... Yeah, I would say the absolute longest you can go with this idealistic worldview that Blade has is probably like five months. And that's when the Paris Major is over, I think. I think it's May, right? So just just that. And then if they don't if they don't make top four, this is over for me, actually. It's not even top eight. It's got to be top four. So next question. Next question. Who are all of the superstar riflers in the world outside of Nico? Well, actually, uh, like we kind of answered by this. majority vote yeah. here, so I think that's uh, uh, an obvious pick. And uh, and this is a question from Fursock, December eighteenth. Yeah, obviously he didn't know what we were going to talk about earlier in the episode, but we had a pretty lengthy discussion about all the riflers. I guess I guess we didn't really get into like all the superstars. Like, I think we've kind of touched on this topic before about who are the superstars right now and like what it means to be a superstar versus like a star. Yeah, and I think Rado is definitely. There. Yeah, I think I think you could put actually like five maybe five superstar who how many superstars do you guys think there are right now i'd probably say under seven or under for sure yeah so, there aren't a, there aren't a ton yeah i'm, I'm kind of so, tempted to reach for stown but also heroic are such a team unit that i don't know if like just the same way that you might not say twists or whatever it, because of phase be working it together like you know i don't like part of it is like do you really want to take credit away from the individual players but also if the team is so good at working it together that those individual players aren't as absolutely necessary to like solo carry the whole game then they don't have the opportunity to show as much would of you, their superstar prowess would you say you can a superstar rifler that's one where it's like you kind of have to like really lay out do you think like by personality and like gravitas in the space is he a superstar because like we all knew that was going to change a lot for liquid but like total impact in the server is very high for yakindar but he's like i don't think he like touches the superstar level for me as an individual it's just kind of like all the surrounding factors like clout he kind of does now he's starting to get there but it's not it's not quite the same um, I think my superstars right now are Axile, Blamef, Nico, and I guess Caserato. I think those yep. are my four. I think that's it. Yeah, those are the four that are definitive, I would yep. say. Then you also have, like, it's just interesting because, like, there is definitely, like, outliers, and then there's also people who you would say are the superstars for their team but aren't superstar riflers. Like, you could say Patsy is a superstar for uh, Spirit, yeah, but he's not a superstar right. rifler in the world. It's just right, like right, you, right. you can see a, how the, yeah. the path up there is. So Frozen's the superstar for Mao's. Yeah, yeah, at that exactly. point I would just probably just say he's their star player, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Elige is Elige or Naf are sometimes the star. Like that's yeah. why they're kind of not. I guess yeah, Flit's yeah. the star of outsiders, yeah. actually. Um it's kind of weird. I always I, I found it so weird, actually. I'll just I'll just random rant, but like it was getting like a little it's a little odd for me the whole like outsiders narrative during the major where p- 
people were almost like not talking about Flit enough because yeah. everybody was so swept away by fame. Yes. Because fame, fame like came up in a way that was very shocking, but it was almost like, guys, Flit's just been the stable 1.2 force for them every game. Like, like what he did in the grand finals too was just like, he just wet, wiped the floor with everybody. Like, I don't, it, it was, um, I think Flit is pretty close to being a superstar because it's almost like his performances are being taken for granted completely now. And that's what that's the trademark of a superstar is that when he's not putting up a 1.2, we're like, where's Flit? It's like, like that. What are, what are we holding this guy to now? Like, I don't know. But like, I guess people just don't talk about outsiders in general enough still. Uh, next question. Next question. Spruce Moose. Crazy fact for you guys you were born naked and when you die you are also naked mind equal blown i mean by what fucking metric dude like what how do you know i'm gonna be naked when i die are you seeing yeah seriously i was i was confused when i read that too i don't i don't think most people die naked actually i don't think that's actually not with that attitude they don't yeah (laughs) you too can die naked if you try hard enough i I don't know seems yeah it just seems like uh you know this is this is one of those questions maui where you're like well, thanks for the money. And next, you know, like what? Is, yeah. Where's the where's the rest? You know, not even a I question, actually. Not even a question. OK, well, thank you, Spruce Moose, for contributing on the final episode of its server time. But <laughs> Zach Patel yes, gets the final question of all patrons in the history of its server time asking just a couple hours ago, what's one thing that makes you optimistic and one thing that makes you pessimistic for the state of CS in 2023? I, I like this question. I like yeah. this question. Actually, should we start with uh, should we start with the pessimistic side so we can end on an optimistic note? Is that how we're going to play this off? So the bad before the good, sort of, you know. Okay, um, just a thought. I don't know. Whatever. Sure, sure, sure. What's your? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll try to. Let me see. Does anybody have one right now? Does anybody have one? A pessimistic thought. I. Yeah. Okay. What's it? Note. What's your? What's your pessimist? Uh, if the tournament schedule remains the way it is, it kind of sucks. In the sense of, like, having, for example, like, the second half of this year was just kind of shitty with, like, EPL being a month and a half, blast groups, and then, like, the major, and then two blast events. It's just kind of like, okay, like, it's not as, it's not, yeah, it's just not enjoyable, especially compared to, like, previous years where you'd have, like, a very dense packing of events. It also, like, fucks with the rankings, it fucks with, like, the way teams are kind of, like, uh, uh... Just like the the way you look at their form at the end of the year, it's just like not super clear cut and not an enjoyable like spread of events. There's so many like different fucking group stages now. Yeah. Because of these leagues and it's like, I get they want to like have like their hours up and shit, but like, goddamn, it's like every single event has like a a one month group stage full of like matches that just don't end up fucking mattering at all. It's really annoying. Yeah, I think if the start of the events could be somehow truncated without... Like the format needs to adhere to something that still re- respects competitive integrity. Can't have like yeah. best of ones all over the place, obviously. But if we can get away from like round robin and maybe some Swiss system stuff, like if we can go back to the GSL groups, I think that would be uh, superior. Yeah, Somewhat like, some like clear cut stuff. Cause I don't know, like something I like about CS a lot, right? It's just the overall format of like the scene and just kind of like how it works. So it was very similar to say like tennis or something where it's very much you're going from like event to event and like you know, the way you, like, dominate for say isn't just necessarily when your matches by, like, dominating event to event and that type of thing, and there's always, like, different winner or whatever. I don't know. I always really like that vibe of the scene, and so when the scene just becomes... If it just becomes, like, a shit ton of blasts and EPL groups for fucking, like, four months out of the year, it just becomes 
I don't know, really annoying to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing like a couple more events that just run from like a Tuesday to a Sunday, whole event plays out, group stage into playoffs, done. Like Yeah. Rather yeah. than a month of groups and then like this weird like playoff bracket as well where it's like two teams go directly to the semis and or like the quarters and it's yeah. just like I fucking hate that format so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I tend to agree with you with that format type of stuff. Um I like when it's just like like the, the way the major is nice is that it's like actually just a bracket. Like yeah. you know, top eight make it, which for its other flaws, like what you could say about Swiss, I suppose. Like I, I actually and don't think ones, it's yeah. Yeah, and best mostly the best of ones actually. I think the Swiss is fine if it were just BO3s, because then it would feel less a little less random. Even though BO ones yeah. usually they usually do show the better team, but like still there are upsets that shouldn't be happening in I think most of our eyes. Um I'll say um, something, I guess, on the slightly optimistic side um, is that I think there might be a couple TOs that are sort of teasing that they're getting into the space, like I hope you know, so. that Elisa, Elisa type of thing, like the CCT sort of stuff. Like, I think like what I hope is alleviates the concerns that you just brought there with the pessimism, pessimism is that I, I think that there's a couple people that are starting to feel it out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully that honestly works out for, for some of those, hopefully they find it financially viable that they get enough exposure and, uh, turn good turnover. Um, and I think like, for example, people are saying that what perfect world might have the second major of the year, or like, uh, I guess that might be run in tandem with PGL or something. I don't know how that'll work, but like, if you can expect, like, it'd be really cool to see, um, just a couple of those TOs back in the space, but I guess something that is pessimistic about this is that a lot of the TOs were in the Ukraine and Russian space, which doesn't seem like it's getting any better. Um, it's not getting considerably better, and so like some of those TOs that we wanted to hope for to come back, Star Ladder, Epicenter, We Play, they're in very poor situations themselves. So that's two sides to the coin. I'll just say, uh, as far as pessimistic points go, um, the fact that the big dogs that remain are now flirting with or outright bought out by these, uh, we'll, say, we'll say the people we're not really super happy about. Uh, obviously, the esports washing angle has started to come into the full focus of people who are enthusiasts in the space. Would be nice if that didn't have to be sort of psychologically in the back of my mind while I'm trying to enjoy an event at the Tier 1 of Counter-Strike. Um, but... I don't know what what all anybody can do with that. That's just something that uh, you ha- sort of have to take with the, the the bad with the good, as they say, or just stop watching. And who the fuck wants to stop watching Counter Strike? The best esports still being played right now. So it's yeah, that's a that's a pessimistic note, probably to end all pessimistic notes. To be fair, but that's just something that comes mm. to mind for me. It's always uh, always n- sort of nibbling away there in the back. Um. Okay. I was, Let's. Yeah. What? I was going to have an optimistic point too. Let's yeah, go. That, uh, you gotta turn it around. In that, I'm excited for Blast to have a major next year. I think it's gonna oh, be yeah. really fucking good yes. uh, all around, production wise. Just the fact that it's gonna be in Paris. There's gonna be European crowds. It's gonna be like, I think like every element of that just is exciting. I do. I don't know if there's been news about it or anything, but I hope that they manage to get like English casting in the arena. Um, I know that there's like laws that prevent that in in France or whatever, but uh, I hope that somehow they manage to to work that out. Yeah. But um, I'm really excited to to see Blast host a major next year, and also I think like the fact that 
the the schedule has shifted a bit to have the majors at the end of the the uh, season is also kind of nice, where you have like teams going out on that note a little bit. I mean, I think I'm not sure if I'm a hundred percent. I think like Cologne's still before the break. Um, no, is it? No, it's not. Cologne's still after the break now, right? So I think not that's sure. I think so. I think I got, the the break moved to to though. being in June to J- July, so I believe that's right. Uh, but yeah, I think that will be nice. But in general, I think the fact that you have so many teams coming in that are in contention for titles, and you have like a pretty good opening like circuit to the start of the year, is going to make it quite exciting because you have Cato starting, you have Blast, you have EPL, you have the major. You have a break. You have clone. I think that the like start of the circuit will be quite fun to watch with the number of teams that are in contention, and uh, and just with the way the the circuit's going to shape up at the start of the year. E- okay, okay. I, I like that you brought up the blast major point. Yeah. that was a really good one. That's. Uh, I think everybody's going to look look forward to that. I think also the fact, yeah, the fact that it's in Paris, like, and we're going to get a hopefully very like just just everybody's going to turn up for that. Like, I mean, I've said before, like, I think. Western European audiences are just sorry, everybody else, but they're just the best. Like, it's just you get this huge blend of people that are just fans of the game themselves because it's just so popular in Europe. Like, it's so crazy how much more popular CS is over there. But, um, okay. Is that anybody else have anything else before we start wrapping the whole, the whole thing up? I'm optimistic about the state of the map pool because Anubis is better than Dust 2, and hopefully Valve will get the picture for everything else. Not bad. True. Okay, let's let's wrap this up. So this has been um, the fortieth episode of its server time. It is it is coming to its its close, its terminus, I suppose. It uh, it's been a, it's been great. We've been running this show for over two years now. Um, this was just kind of like an idea that really I. I knew I wanted to do a show. I, I liked all these guys that were on the show. And so honestly, we just committed to doing it. And I think a lot of the episodes, like there's been a lot of really cool moments. I think some of the funny stuff that really stuck with me was just the fact that we got a couple players like before they really hit the big time on this, which was nice. Yeah. Like we got a couple, like we got, we got JDC. We got Yakindar twice. Um, I mean, we kind of, we got, we got snappy at one point actually. Right. And uh, we got, we got Fang. I mean, there's we got we got more more people than that. Obviously, we got a bunch of talent members that I can't thank enough for them showing up on the show. Thorin, Richard Lewis, um, Scrawny recently, Launders, like blah. I mean, there's so many people I can't name them all. I would just we would just be here for too long, and I'd just be literally just reading a list at that point. <laughs> yeah. But but mostly, I do want to just thank um, Mix Note and Pernogo for. For doing this and committing to this with me for as long as we have because i think that we actually did make a mark on the csgo space i think that you could have safely said for periods of the show that it was like a top five csgo podcast like which is kind of weird how there one just maybe aren't there's kind of a lot of shows but they're kind of like smaller and i think we actually put something together that people were looking forward to i know that there was there's been a bit of an outcry for like why is it ending and everything like that, which I'll get to. But I think that we put something out there regularly that people were happy about and they were able to enjoy. I think the live component of it also is something that people have been thankful for when we have decided to do that. So 
Uh, thanks, I think, for suggesting that. I, I think that was Pernogo. I think you, you said you could just do it really easily, yeah. so you just did it. And um, so thank thank you for that. Thank you for your production efforts, too. Sure. And note and mix, I always appreciate your guys' takes on different sides of the game because we just have we have different viewpoints. And yet, it's all with the North American bias. That's course, how we keep things consistent on the show. <laughs> so there's, there was always that little spin for the show, but I think this was a really cool idea, and I really hope that whatever all of us move forward on that we find success in that too. But I mean, if there's any other kind of closing thoughts you guys have for the show and what it's, what it's meant, feel free. The floor is all of yours. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, the, I'd never done like a consistent podcast thing before. And I think it really helped kind of establish how to talk about ideas uh, outside of like a written article format. That was something that was like, writing articles and whatnot was very familiar to me, but I was less, um, I guess, less inclined, but also less, like, quite nervous to to go on a video and talk about ideas and kind of just have that free-flowing. And I think just over the last two years of doing this podcast, kind of going in and having, like, a general outline, but also kind of just being able to free-flow ideas and talk about the game with people has been a lot of fun. I think it's been uh, just honestly something to look forward to like after an event ends we're like oh we're gonna do an episode after this and we're gonna like talk about like with people who also watched all the events and and really enjoy the game it's just been a lot of fun having that as like a shared experience um yeah i think it's been a lot of uh it's just been really nice having this as a platform and uh and being able to talk about it with you guys what do you got mix i appreciate <laughs> say i appreciate the platform a lot appreciate you guys just being able to talk CS with you guys has been a lot of fun, especially to build up an audience to kind of like a uh, a committed viewership type of thing was a uh, was really nice. So yeah, just thank you guys for your time the past two years. It's been really nice. Yeah, for me it was. Uh, I'm echoing the sentiments of the past two uh, answers. I would say uh, obviously I started off just as a guy behind the scenes producing. Occasionally would speak. People would be wondering who's that guy. He's not Sam. What's <laughs> happening? And then uh, obviously uh, eventually managed to carve up my own square here, which was interesting. And uh, it was an, a nice opportunity to be maybe seen as a more uh, legitimized analyst in the space where previously like, most people just don't even know who I am. So uh, before that, uh, I was definitely less known. And uh, now maybe people uh, know that I have something to say, which is cool. Uh, always, ni- always nice when you get the opportunity to do that. And uh, obviously, we got to, you know, all three of us here uh, that aren't Maui Snake got to see Maui Snake go from guy at DreamHacks to guy at Majors. And that was an interesting uh, transformation. So we also got to know that like, you know, there's a, there's some element there where it's like, if people like what you know, sometimes success changes people, and Maui Snake didn't change in that way, so he still had until he, now, he still had his he time. kicks us off. Then, of yeah, then he, then he cancels <laughs> the show, but until up until this point, he hadn't been, he hadn't changed, and he, he had kept us around, so that was cool too. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I messaged Maui when he told the news, and I was like begging him to not end it. And he said, <laughs> and then he blocked me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this is actually the first time i've contacted nick since telling him of the decision actually he's he is blocked on all my social media platforms he has no way of contacting me following the conclusion of this episode there it is so. um okay so i th- i guess that leads us to our uh very last round of shout outs i'll do mine first because it's very shameless and it's kind of like the reason i'm closing out the show is that um what I'm looking to do for the future for this channel, for this YouTube channel, let's say, because people might be watching on Twitch, but for the YouTube channel is that 
I'm moving forward with an idea that I've been stirring with for a while, and I just kind of knew the limits of myself moving forward, which is that I'm going to just make a basically a solo podcast show, just called the Maui Snake Show. You can look for it. It's going to first episode should be out as soon as next week or maybe even this weekend. And I'm just going to be interviewing different people from the space, mostly CSGO in the beginning, but I wanted to branch out to like other industries or other esports and other industries such that um, this kind of fr- frees myself from that. And it's going to just be like more regular content because at the end of the day, as, as I mean, as great as it was to have like this, this ensemble cast to every single time and trying to get a guess, I think we all experienced the difficulties of planning this and making sure that it was consistent and so this is something where I know that more consistently I'll be able to connect with fans and also just different people in the space because the only barrier is going to be my schedule and their schedule. And then um, and you can expect on that show that I'm going to have all these guys that are here uh, being regular contributors or at least like, you know, whenever whenever it feels like it's appropriate, I'm going to bring these guys on. So it's not like this is going to be the end of seeing myself with mix myself with no myself with Pernogo, but in this format of this four panel type of show, this is the final one. But, and once again, I think the final shout out for me is just thank you guys for coming with me on this journey. There it is. Uh, of course. Yeah. No, what's your, what's your shout out? note? Uh, I mean, to start, obviously, I want to shout out the show and you for even arranging this and kind of bringing everybody together to do this consistently. I think what some people might not know about the show is that every time that we would plan to do one, uh, Maui Snake would also type out like a topic list of what we would be discussing. So even with his schedule, with his travel and everything, he would always like prep kind of what the general podcast format and flow would be like and that takes like a lot of work on top of everything else so i definitely want to say thanks for that and for keeping this such a like always trying to make time for it even though your schedule got pretty busy to in especially this year um i think in general yeah like shout out to all three of you because it's been a lot of fun doing this over the last two years um yeah otherwise i guess um I think one thing that I will say is that this show's definitely helped me appreciate like the the video medium of doing like uh like talking about topics or talking about games or um just like talking to players and interviewing them and that's something that I want to explore more and I don't think it's something I would have been comfortable with doing um or as comfortable with doing before we started recording this podcast so I want to definitely say thanks for that and that's also something maybe to look out for me for next year where I might be uh, doing something similar as well, where I might do um, just topic discussions or or maybe some interviews with players who might not be in CS as well, because obviously HLTV will probably want some of those first. All right. Thank you. Uh, Mix, what's your, what's your shout out? I don't think I can do a shout out on the last episode of its server time and have it be anyone other than OC. (laughs) That's what I'm doing the entire time. So yeah, fuck you guys. Fuck the show. <laughs> sure, he's <laughs> completely reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see for life. Um, yeah. And Mantu over Zywu and MSL and yeah, know. yeah. Mantu over Zywu. MSL is poggers. Patented mixed moments is like, mixed moments. Yeah. Um, I'm okay. Predicting Imperial to beat Vitality, which did not happen. <laughs> Unfortunate. Just unlucky, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Get him Okay. Uh thank you, Mix. Uh Pranogo, what is your what is your final shout out? 
Uh, well, on on Note's behalf, I'll shout out HLTV, and on Maui Snake's behalf, I'll shout out every TO that he's worked with this year, and on Mix's behalf, he already did his actual patented shout out, so I can't even steal that. But no, um, I'll say shout out to, honestly, shout out to the fact that, like, despite that we are closing out the show and it's going to be the end, um, you know, the... The viewers were always good. The, the the interaction, like I've I've been a part of a bunch of shows. I've hosted a bunch of shows, and you know sometimes the chat is uh, maybe maybe piles in right way more, right? And maybe that's just a, an aspect of the fact that maybe those shows are bigger, right? We think of like a lot of the uh, other chats, but like the fans of this show, the chat, like very rare was there any bad apples. And I think that's probably because we marketed this show as this like show for enthusiasts, the show for people who care about the games, who want to know about. It's called It's Server Time. It's not like It's Drama Time or whatever. So I think that that probably lended well to it. So yeah, conceptually and, and in terms of the topics that we talked about and the audience that we cultivated, I think uh, all good stuff. So yeah, you, you can't really, it's weird to do a shout out knowing it's the last time and actually the last one because I, and oh no, that's not true because uh maybe maui snake has one final one for us we'll see but uh, in general it's like oh yeah it's uh this is the last time it's shout out to the fact that it's the last time with you guys appreciate it yeah i think i think i mean i think that covers it i think that's uh that's it getting a little more emotional than i expected but uh <laughs> uh thank you guys once again thank you to the audience who have tuned in thank you to all the guests over the history of its server time it's been two years it's actually been two years and three months specifically since we've been starting this so it's been it's been excellent stuff thank you to all the patrons too uh your support has been very much so appreciated and your questions on top of that uh, great added element to the end of all these shows but yeah hope to see you guys more in 2023 hope you guys see much more of my co-hosts as well be sure to follow all of us on our social medias as I'm sure that everybody has more in store. So you're going to want to keep in tune. You're going to stay on top of that. Thank you for the final time.